the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, August 4th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 262. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that'll take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Welcome, everybody. Big Friday edition of the show. Amro Noah's here. Yo. We've got an absolutely packed show. Christina Bob, attorney for the Trump campaign, is going to be here, as is the official spokeswoman for the 45th president, Liz Harrington. We'll sit down with Steve Friend. For the first time, we're going to be talking to constitutional attorney John Pierce, Representative Kevin Kiley. A lot of breaking news. Did the Devin Archer deposition really happen this week? Not a lot of people are talking about it, but we are. Donald Trump was arraigned yesterday in Washington, D.C. We'll get the absolute latest there, and we'll play a little bit of presidential primary roundup. But before we get to any of our headlines, let's take it up to Capitol Hill and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast here getting started. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started today, we've got the congressman in who's representing California 3. Always great to sit down with Representative Kevin Kiley. Congressman, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, you bet. Thanks for having me. Well, a lot of people in the news aren't really talking about some of the groundbreaking testimony that was provided in House Judiciary behind closed doors this week regarding Devin Archer, Congressman. Do uh, you want to give our in- listenership a little bit of insight onto uh, what you were able to glean from hearing some of that stuff, maybe for the first time? I know that they're, uh, they've released the transcribed interview of that, so uh, it's available, and I've seen, I've had the chance to read some of that. Uh, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, he's now uh, told his story on on Tucker as well. And so uh, we're seeing, you know, the layers are just continuing to uh, to pile on here, uh, pointing, uh, painting a very concerning picture. And, uh, you know, on uh, our committee, we're committed to simply following the facts. That's all we're doing, following the facts where they lead. Uh, that's our responsibility. That's what checks and balances and oversight are about. We have a responsibility uh, to the American public to get to the bottom of this. Now, getting to the bottom of it is something that the American public, I think, is really craving at this point because it's like a tale of two realities. You have the Biden administration uh, right now who doesn't acknowledge any of this stuff. They want to defer everything to the private offices of the private citizen, Hunter Biden. Joe Biden won't give any. I mean, there's so many digital receipts of Joe Biden saying that none of this stuff has existed up until this point. Pretty much all of it has. I mean, the New York Post ran with a cover story today showing thank you letter to Devin Archer back in. Uh, 2011 for some of the things that you know people have been alleging for years your opinion congressman when when you see this stuff start to unravel is the house of representatives right now is kevin mccarthy getting over the target and in the right place to best benefit the american people by digging into this or is this just something that a lot of people might speculate is is kind of a waste of time and, and isn't going anywhere because it looks like you know what what may have been talking points on cable news shows a year or two ago or throughout the course of the 2020 presidential election race is now seen to become a harsh reality for some of the you know darker things that happen up in Washington, D.C.? 
Well, you know, we are in the position that the speaker's taken uh, is, I think, the correct one, which is that we're not going to begin with any conclusions. And so, uh, you know, you have various committees that are now involved in uh, the investigations, the Judiciary Committee, the Ways and Means Committee, the Oversight Committee. Uh, It's been done methodically. Uh, It's been done in exactly the way oversight is supposed to be done, uh, which stands in stark contrast to some of the things we've seen uh, from the other side, where they begin with some sort of conclusion or desired outcome uh, and then, you know, plow ahead towards that outcome, uh, regardless of what the facts show. Uh, So that's, for example, what we heard from uh, from Mr. Durham about uh, when he in his report and when he testified for Judiciary Committee about what happened in 2016, where they started this unprecedented investigation and surveillance of a presidential campaign. Campaign, uh, based upon political bias. We want to get back to doing oversight the way it's supposed to be done. Uh, and so I think that the uh, approach so far uh, is bearing fruit in the sense that we are establishing facts. Uh, and if those facts get to the um, the threshold uh, for an impeachment inquiry, which is the term that Speaker McCarthy used, right. uh, he's indicated that uh, that, you know, again, we're just going to take what that's we'll go where the facts lead us. That's a good point and a good angle to look at it as. I think that the more you guys go about this long game in the right way, I think the better the American public is going to understand that this isn't for, this isn't like, you know, you guys going back and trying to go tit for tat with the Biden administration based off of some of the stuff going all the way back to 2016 that, you know, the federal government had been accused of doing to the, uh, you know, Trump administration. And I think it's a good way to kind of open it up and break it down, just kind of rushing to judgment and, and making all of these wild accusations. Sometimes they can come back and bite you in the butt. And I think this is the best way to look at it. All right, I do want to talk about some other uh, committees we had and work up on the hill that you've been doing. So you got to see one of your absolute favorites up on Capitol Hill last week. We did an extensive segment with it and, and are always talking about border safety here on the show, Congressman Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, you know, if it wasn't him starting off the committee with going on the record saying he wasn't smirking or laughing with some of the questions he was being asked or answers he was giving, he was continuing to lie about the policies that he's changed along the U.S. southern border to allow more people in than ever before. I think afterwards, I saw on your Instagram account, you you know, you gave a pretty good tell of how many people have come into this country, how alarming it should be to the American public, and and that this administration currently is doing nothing to stop it or slow it in any way, shape, or form. They just continue to change policies to let more people in. Where are you guys at at this point with moving forward and, and, and being able to rein Alejandro Mayorkas in so he allows the people who are working along the U.S. southern border to do their jobs? Well, I think we've reined him in a little bit just through uh, shining a light on how uh, abysmal his performance has been and how record-shattering the uh, level of illegal immigration has been during this administration. Uh, you know, they have at uh, least curbed uh, or stepped back on some of their policies a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, still, uh, the numbers are simply staggering as well as the the tragic consequences in terms of fentanyl, in terms of human trafficking, uh, in terms of national security risks, uh, and so forth. Uh, so, uh, you know, the hearing was certainly frustrating in that he refused to, uh, in many cases, answer even uh, the most basic questions. Uh, but uh, I do think that, you know, if you look at what we are trying to do uh, in the House, we passed the border security bill, uh, the Border Security Act of 2023, which was one of the most significant border security measures 
uh, to ever pass uh, in Congress. It will beef up the wall. It will beef up border patrol. It'll beef up aerial surveillance. It will reform the asylum process, restore remain in Mexico, and do all the things that we know work uh, and that have worked in the past. So that's in the Senate now. I mean, you know, whether Chuck Schumer is going to take that up uh, or let alone President Biden uh, would sign it, uh, obviously, uh, you know, is uh, I, I don't have particularly high hopes for. But that is our blueprint uh, for how we really are truly going to secure the border uh, if we are able to get the Senate and the White House back. Yeah, it's a big fight coming down the pike here in the next 17 months heading up into the 2024 election. And uh, you guys have definitely at least shown the light on, on the reality that uh, is, is happening down here on the southern border. And at least us here on the show, we're, we're extremely appreciative of it and hope that at some point Alejandro Mayorkas is, is held to account because, you know, just some of the policies he's changed, the amount of people he's let in are ones that we've never seen before. And it's absolutely alarming. There's a lot of people in places that you wouldn't think ever complained about it California, Chicago, and New York especially, that are complaining about the amount of illegal aliens that have crossed the border and have been shipped to those cities and are just causing, you know, the problems that they've caused down on the actual southern border for, for decades, but now everybody's kind of feeling it. And it's, it's, it's a harsh reality for all these people to see it in, in real time. I think I'm past being held to account, and I'm at tarring and feathering at this point. <laughs> Congressman, you, you've worked with a lot of bad politicians out here in California, worked to, you know, to, to kind of keep them in line. I'm, I'm thinking Kamala Harris, Xavier Becerra, and, of course, the current governor out here, Gavin Newsom. When, when you've had the opportunity to sit in committee and, and hear Alejandro Mayorkas dance the tango around questions, and, and you've been able to see the receipts on the policies that he's changed, court rulings that he's ignored, and, and just ways that he's figured out to let people in, how mind-blowing was it to you to see it in person once you got up to Capitol Hill as a House representative? Well, it, it is pretty uh, shocking when you see some of, uh, you know, the uh, the degree to which there is an unwillingness to take responsibility. I mean, Mayorkas has actually said he doesn't think that the administration's policies had anything to do uh, with the record illegal border crossings, which is just insane. The cause and effect could not be clearer. And then, you know, we have had a couple months where the numbers have dipped just a bit from the all-time highs, which is almost, you know, just a kind of a matter of uh, statistical noise, a reversion to the mean. Uh, and he says <laughs> this is somehow a credit uh, to their policies. Uh, so uh, it really is shocking uh, when you see, uh, you know, performance that is uh, sort of uh, at an all-time low, uh, and then yet a failure to acknowledge in any way, shape, or form uh, the responsibility this administration bears uh, for what they've done to the border and what they've done to the country. Yeah, that's a great point. I can't believe this guy was ever confirmed as the DHS head after what happened to him during the Obama administration, all the funny stuff he was doing down at CIS with pay-per-play visas, you know, soccer team visas for everybody, dealing with the Clintons and stuff like that, but that's neither here nor there. We're in the now, and you guys are, are, are holding them to account, and it's great to see it. Congressman, something else I want to talk to you about, we've, we've touched on it a couple times on the show. This is something bigly that you're working on. Julie Sue, you guys are, are definitely uh, not wanting her to be able to serve indefinitely because she definitely does not have the votes to get confirmed in the Senate. We don't need these radical progressive policies that she made famous in California coming to a national stage. This bill that you and... Uh, Representative Fox, who sits on the Education and Workforce Committee, is going to prevent her from being able to serve indefinitely. Do you want to tell our listenership a little bit on the absolute latest with that situation? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's completely uh, unprecedented what's happening. You know, Joe Biden nominated the worst possible person in the country to be Secretary of Labor, Julie <laughs> Sue, who was a 
catastrophe uh, in California. Uh, the Senate has rightly uh, declined to confirm her. She doesn't have the votes. The White House acknowledges she doesn't have the votes to be confirmed as Secretary of Labor. So they've decided to just install her anyway without Senate confirmation as an unconfirmed acting Secretary of Labor and plan to keep her at that post indefinitely, which is flatly against the constitutional requirement to have cabinet secretaries be confirmed by the Senate. So uh, I've introduced a bill co-authored by Virginia Fox uh, to make it clear uh, that this cannot happen and that she cannot uh, sit there uh, as Secretary of Labor and wield all of the powers of that office uh, when the advice and consent requirement uh, of the Constitution has not been met. Yeah, if they're not going to pull her nomination, they got to force the vote. They got to get the receipts and then move along with it because, you know, just what she did to, to some of the, the major trade and commerce out here in California, uh, if that ever got to a national level and that became, you know, national policies that, that a president would have to undo, let's say after the next election, it would be absolutely so much more destructive for our economy, which is already super beat up. And uh, great to see you co-sponsor that bill. And, and we hope that it gets, uh, you know, voted on and uh, that she cannot remain indefinitely in that cabinet level position as the acting secretary of labor congressman this was great getting the show started with you today on our big friday edition of steak for breakfast podcast we're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today for everyone that's not following you on social media where can they check you out uh yeah just go to my twitter at kevin kiley ca this is one of our strongest warriors up on capitol hill always fighting for america first doing an absolute fantastic job representative kiley have a great weekend you bet you too thanks very much while president trump faces a third indictment don't let this distract you from the 140 pages of Devin Archer testimony transcript released by the House Oversight Committee. While some of the transcript reads very vaguely and uses language up to the reader's interpretation, Archer confirmed several critical points. For instance, the brand, the Biden brand, sold to foreign business leaders, is not just the Biden family, but specifically then-Vice President Joe Biden. The transcript revealed it was essential for Ukrainian energy company Burisma to be well-connected to the Bidens in order to open doors and carry on business. Archer confirmed that having the Biden brand on Burisma's side would be legally intimidating for those looking to put the company out of business. Archer compared Joe Biden's speakerphone conversations during meetings to that of any CEO's son putting his father on the phone, but confirms that during business dinners, Joe Biden didn't just drop by, he fully sat in on them. Details reveal the pressure not only on the Bidens, but also on the Ukrainian government to get these deals done, with pressure being the main theme of Burisma. These pressures are not limited to Ukraine. Other pressures include capital reportedly tied up in London and visas denied in the United States and Mexico. The transcript reveals that officials would call on D.C. for lobbying help, put out fires or expand business, D.C. being one of the other code names for Joe Biden. While the mainstream media is plagued with cover-ups using the Trump indictment, remember, we went from Biden saying he never spoke with Hunter Biden about business to Joe Biden's brand saved Burisma from going under. And with all these business dealings and payments directly involving then-Vice President Biden after denying it for years, the House Oversight Committee is raising concerns about racketeering and money laundering, and that may be evident moving forward. Monica Page, One American News, The White House. All right, jumping into the news portion of our show today on this huge Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Me and Noah here in the studio. Antoinette's out of the office today. We've got a great slate of guests coming in. Christina Bob, one of our favorites. She's going to do the Trump arraignment coverage we've got coming down the pike, everything leading up to and through yesterday's indictment. The spokeswoman for the president, 
Liz Harrington is going to be here. You guys obviously just heard Congressman Kevin Kiley. Steve Friend's going to be joining us for the first time, former FBI whistleblower, best-selling author. And we're going to be jumping in with John Pierce in just a little bit after we kind of deep dive into, well, it's like a question we should all be asking ourselves. Did Devin Archer really testify before the House Weaponization Committee this week because nobody's talking about it? Mm. And then this kind of just goes hand in hand with the Biden scandal distractions that, you know, the Department of Justice has used to kind of take everything going on with Joe Biden, who's on vacation, passed out on a beach somewhere, uh, you know, riding bikes past the press. And, and, you know, they're like, hey, Mr. President, are you going to come and comment on this side or the other thing? And he just drives past and he's like, no, probably not. (laughs) He doesn't have the uh, foot clips on this time. Yeah, I think that's off limits now. Yeah, he's just wearing the the, the, the slip-in topsiders. So. But but let's look at a little bit of this timeline. Obviously, we all know about the Mar-a-Lago raid, but then, you know, on 317 of this year, Hunter Biden admits the laptop is his. First time since the 51 former intelligence official said that it was Russian disinformation. Within 24 hours, Trump is indicted. June of this year, FBI doc, that's the... 1023 that Senator Grassley was able to get out to the American public a few weeks ago alleges that Joe Biden took bribes up to and and probably past $10 million. Within 24 hours, Donald Trump is indicted. July of this year, Hunter Biden plea deal collapses in court. That was just two weeks ago. Then you have the, you know, superseding charges and uh, indictments added to the Mar-a-Lago document case from Jack Smith the very next day. Hmm. On Monday this week, Devin Archer went up to Capitol Hill and in a closed-door deposition testified before the Weaponization Committee, Jim Jordan, and others. On August 1st, Donald Trump was indicted again, this time for things related to January 6th. So if you don't think that that's a coincidence, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. (laughs) Before anybody got to him, Tucker Carlson released uh, a two-part interview with Devin Archer. He sat down for quite a while with the former Biden business associate and best friend of Hunter Biden. And, you know, if you want receipts from some of the stuff that had gone down over the years that we may not have yet from the House Weaponization Committee deposition, this is where you're going to get some of those receipts. I pulled a clip. I want our listenership to hear this podcast just came out about 48 hours ago. Let's check it out. The reaction to what you've said in public, to what you said to the committee mm-hmm. on the Hill, um, and doubtless to what you're, you've been telling us in this interview, is that like, there's no corruption here at all. This is totally normal. Joe Biden had no role whatsoever in, uh, in his son's business or knowledge of it. But right. How would, I mean, that seems false. Yeah, I, th- I think that, yeah, I think that's, that's categorically false. I think that what, what the, he was aware of Hunter's business. He met with Hunter's business partners. He, I mean, you found a letter that, that illustrates that he knew me. And I he's thanking you. <laughs> he's thanking you for so, his efforts. So I think that was, for, yeah. I think for your efforts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that a, that's a, um, you know, that's, that's not factually right. You know, but at the, and in the same breath, there is no, you know, there's no, I don't think Joe Biden's looked at a balance sheet or, a, you know, uh, a, a cap table or what have you, or any financial document probably ever. Yeah. Um, so there Dump- was. And that goes into some of the stuff we've been saying le- recently here on the show, Noah. I don't think that Joe Biden really got into the nitty gritty when it came down to the dollars and cents that were coming completely washed out of shell companies and fake LLCs and into his bank accounts and bank accounts of other people in the Biden family. 
But I do think, you know, as part of like playing a closer role, it was like one of those things that, you know, Hunter Biden's talking to these people is like, does that sound like a good deal? How about now? Would it sound like a better deal if I told you Joe Biden was listening to the conversation? He's on the phone right now. What if I told you Joe Biden will come and personally sniff your children? When do I get my ice cream? Sad. Dad, shut up and just say, I'm Joe Biden. Yeah. But but that, you know, and and there, there are a couple more pretty good receipts in there. It, it's one of those things. Devin Archer doesn't want to put himself into a legal position outside of the one he's probably already in right now regarding some of this stuff. So he was very vague on some of the answers he gave. The New York Post ran with that letter from Joe Biden to Devin Archer, which is back from 2011. I'm, I'm going to read the letter to you guys now where he said, you know, that probably wasn't the case because he doesn't want to basically incriminate himself as Joe Biden writing like a, a letter of reward to him and thanking him for his good job. But this is from the Office of the Vice President dated January 20th, 2011 to Devin Archer. And it says, Dear Devin, I apologize for not getting a chance to talk to you at the luncheon yesterday. I was having a trouble getting away from hosting President Who. I hope you get a chance to see you again with Hunter. I hope you enjoyed the lunch. Thanks for coming. Sincerely, Joseph R. Biden Jr. Ooh. Yeah. P.S. And this is in scribble writing, not typed as the rest of the letter is. Happy you guys are together. With an exclamation point. Hey, you guys. When you see stuff like that, though. And no, we, we've covered it. Actually, on the last couple of shows, we've played receipts. Joe Biden getting hit by the press during the 2019 election cycle. And then, obviously, the part of the debate where Donald Trump tried to lower the boom. And he talked about, you know, the mayor of Moscow, mm-hmm. his his wife giving Hunter Biden money. And that he was getting money from China and Ukraine and Russia and all these other places. And Joe Biden said, that's not true. Not only is that not true, but I have no idea what you're talking about because I don't know anything about any of my son's business dealings. And, you know, there's piece of shit Christopher Wallace jumping in there trying to play referee for Joe Biden. And we all know now that's not true. There's, there's a letter right after, you know, back in 2021 that shows Joe Biden not only knew about these dealings and wanted to talk to Devin Archer in person about it. He was very active in the role and thunk him for it. Mm -hmm. What can you say when, when, when you start to look at this stuff that Donald Trump getting arraigned in court on a, uh, interpretation of his first amendment, right? completely engulfs the news cycle and, and this stuff does not, you know, it's, it, it's long overdue that we uh, really need to take a look at not only our justice system, but how it's been weaponized. I mean, I I've called him for years now, the best revenge hire of this administration. And mm-hmm. for all the crappy cabinet level positions and senior administration officials, there are Merrick Garland might take the case. If you don't think that guy still got a chip on his shoulder and, and something to prove after the way Senate Republicans shut down his speedy nomination for the Supreme Court back when Obama was president and isn't taking it out on all these people now, you need to really examine what went down during that nomination process. I saw Rob Schmidt touched on this yesterday. He's one of the very few people in the media, as we heard from Monica Page, who's now the senior White House correspondent for OAN, to begin our segment, and she's done a phenomenal job there. I talked to Monica a lot. She's a great patriot, great Italian as well. And, uh, you know, let's hear Rob Schmidt kind of talk about the stuff that's going on right now and, you know, essentially why nobody's covering it. Goldman claiming Devin Archer said that Burisma did not want Ukraine's prosecutor, Victor Shokin, fired. Here's how he put it. Burisma believed 
that they had the prosecutor general, Shokin, in their pocket. They had control over him, and they were concerned that if he was removed from office, that that would be very bad for Burisma. Lies. The actual transcript says exactly the opposite. Jim Jordan to Devin Archer on Monday. The request was for help from the U.S. government to deal with the pressure they were under from their prosecutor. And that entailed the freezing of assets at the London Bank and other things that were going on in Ukraine. Devin Archer. Correct. That's Archer telling the committee that Burisma's head honchos told Hunter and Devin to call D.C. and get Shokin off their back. Again to the transcript. After dinner at the Four Seasons, did Mikola Zlokevsky and Vadim ask Hunter Biden to make any phone calls? Devin, yes, though I was not party to that phone call. What was the request? From Devin Archer, the request was, I think they were getting pressure and they requested Hunter to, you know, help them with some of that pressure. What pressure? Government. Government pressure on their, you know, government pressure from Ukrainian government investigations into Mikola, etc. What did Hunter do after he was given that request to call Washington, D.C.? Devin Archer says, listen, I did not hear this phone call, but he he called his dad. Mm. Five days later, December 9, 2015, the vice president of the United States goes to Ukraine. Four months after that visit, Viktor Shokin is fired by Ukraine's president. Imagine that. Joe Biden would later brag about using a billion dollars of our money as leverage to get that firing. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. Leaving in six hours, if the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Son of a bitch. We all he got know, fired. And know for, that by heart now. For a, for a lot of people who don't understand that Joe Biden was basically brought in as like the thug to smash oversight within the Ukrainian government back in 2014 and 2015, not just with Hunter Biden's business dealings. We played two shows ago, Joe Biden addressing the Ukrainian, I guess, Congress or parliament, whatever they have there. And not only did he scold them for trying to conduct oversight over themselves, but, you know, basically told them to stop it and do better, or maybe the money's just going to dry up. I'm paraphrasing. Those interactions which laid the groundwork back in 2014 and 2015, basically put us into this extremely compromising situation we have right now and all the stuff that's going on in Ukraine. Pretty funny how, you know, has Joe Biden's scandals ramp up and it all seems to be centered around these business dealings with Burisma. We're not hearing anything about the fourth or fifth counteroffensive out in Ukraine. What do you think about that, Noah? Counteroffenses? How's those cluster munitions working for you? I thought those were a war crime. Stop it. Not now. Only when Russia uses it against Ukraine, not the opposite. Man, I saw some videos the other day. It was like, you know, from the Telegram channels that make it to Twitter. And uh, it was like one Russian tank destroyed an entire column of, like, Ukrainian tanks and three armored personnel. All the people that are, like, running comms are like, no, get out of there. It's too dangerous. And it was like Leroy Jenkins. Mm. (laughs) Got him. Certainly did. Got all of them. And, again... In the Ukraine conflict with Russia, there is no winner. And, and the only way that anyone achieves, you know, any kind of winning ship. We want to stop people from dying. Stop people from dying. That's it, is when the conflict comes to an end. U.S. House Representative Team America First, Trump endorser, 
Beth Van Dyne. I saw her on Fox Business yesterday. She was talking about some of this stuff now. And how many thresholds are we in? For every time Donald Trump is indicted, we cross another Rubicon in this country, both legally and when talking about past practice principles regarding former government officials and all the way up through the office of the president. How many more thresholds are we going to have to cross for Joe Biden to get any kind of consequences at least proposed his way. How many thresholds could we possibly cross? Well, we are pretty good at crossing thresholds. I mean, only for their team. Put it on your resume. Let's hear the congressman from Texas. How stupid do they think we are? I mean, 20 times. And how many grown adult businessmen that are being paid millions of dollars are going to call their daddy during a business dinner? It doesn't happen. I mean, this is obvious what has happened. And the fact is, is that you can prove that Hunter Biden has been compromised by foreign nations. And the fact that they're, they're sharing bank accounts, sharing money, 50 percent of what he was making, apparently, is going to pay off Joe Biden's bills. You know, you can say that Joe Biden was involved in this as well. I think an impeachment is necessary to be able to use the tools to get down to the investigation that right now we have seen stalled at the DOJ and the FBI level. And yeah. I'll tell you- I mean, that's one route we could take, I, I think. We, we really have to take into consideration, though, what impeaching Joe Biden means. I don't think it's worth it. No, not only for the upcoming election cycle, but for the direction of the country and who would be president if he's impeached and who that person would select as their vice president if they become president of the United States. Yeah, it would only get worse. Kamal Harris has had a couple great talking points today about community banks and where they, where they normally reside. In a community? How'd you guess? I don't know, just 2 plus 2 is racist. <laughs> School buses are still yellow, though. Oh. Not the racist kind, though. <laughs> the ones that can't go under bridges? There you go. I saw Bricksuit put out a good tweet yesterday, or a post. I don't know how the whole tweet... I, I'm gonna X? Yeah, stop it. He, he Z'd? The Joe Biden narrative progression. We started at, I never spoke with Hunter about business. We then segued to, I was never in business with my son. Mm-hmm. We're at... We only spoke about the weather. The weather. I knew, but didn't approve. I took no money. I took no money, but it didn't affect policy. I only did it because I love my son. (laughs) Well, when you put it in that particular progression, Mm. it sounds really bad. Really bad. (laughs) Really, really bad. It's almost like it's as bad as we've been saying it's been the entire time. And how do we get it to be better? Because, you know, we're reaching a point right now. I mean, did you see that story that came out last week? Hunter Biden, that huge Malibu house he was, you know, supposedly renting or someone was paying his rent for like $20 million a month. They caused like $500,000 in property damage there. Wait, what? Yeah, he and so he was supposedly staying there with his family, but they just absolutely trashed the place and then moved out without telling anybody. It was a party house. Yeah. Had to have been. But he he's with his wife and children. Well... I mean, I don't know how the, that whole creepy dynamic works. Stripper? Mm, no, but they have acknowledged Navy's existence, so let's not worry about that anymore. Good. Mm. How many millions of dollars is that kid getting? But, I mean, this guy's still walking free. You know, you saw uh, one of the lawyers who represents Hunter Biden show up at that Malibu property like a week ago, and then he goes out on, like, the back balcony and starts taking bong rips while he's talking to Hunter Biden. Like, what the hell is going on here? Wait, what? Yeah. Pictures are all over social media. Who did that? One to hundred Biden's lawyers. Taking bong rips. On the back porch of, of this huge house that they're in in Malibu. Well, I mean, if you're going to pick somebody to represent you, if you're a total 
degenerative piece of shit. Mm. I mean, yeah, water seeks its own level. I don't know where we get to, like, they're trying to, you know, to get this back to Joe Biden. You have to put private citizen Hunter Biden under the microscope to do so, but it just seems like we're so still at the infantile stages of this entire investigation. I, I really do think, and a lot of our America First congressmen and women who you know listen to this show or talk to constituents who listen to this show need to understand, I really do think we're best served letting this investigation process, playing the long game, play itself out, and going after Joe Biden when he loses the presidential election next year. Well, yeah, because obviously the precedent's been set that you can and are obviously encouraged now to go after a president after he's out of office. You want to talk about other people in this administration that are up for, you know, some kind of oversight leading to consequences and, and pretty much the removal. You've got Janet Yellen, the country's credit rating dropped for the first time in a long time from AAA to AA plus this week. Obviously, Merrick Garland. How does that how does that transmit into something that personal credit scores would would factor into so the way i think of it as you know if you talk about the we, way we were at like a high five <laughs> now we're at a four well if you, if you go off of how the biden administration is rewarding bad credit scores does lowering our overall credit score as a nation actually improve our chances to get loans no because we're the ones that are giving the money away damn it yeah like if if there was like another daddy country besides us not china <laughs> yeah they're not giving us money they're just taking all our of land. <laughs> yeah. So you got Merrick Garland completely weaponized the DOJ. Obviously, Alejandro Mayorkas for everything that's happened on the U.S. southern border. Mayor Pete completely inept at his job. I mean, you, you want to talk about the disaster within the aviation community. Oof. Yeah. And, and then you just have to start looking at, you know, the Department of Defense, Austin. I mean, Millie's on his way out the door, but I'm sure they're going to hire someone equally as terrible, if not more pronouning than him. Mm. And uh, going after Joe Biden really doesn't solve any of the nation's problems or the crises we're you know enduring right now, and really doesn't help out the huge issues we have at the executive branch of our government. So, I think letting this process play out and going more in towards looking into private citizen Joe Biden after he loses the election next year, would probably be the best case because you start screwing around with this. Well, I mean, they're they're just going to feed him to it if, if we do that. Like, I mean, what potential negativity is there if he actually gets impeached and removed from office? Well, the Senate won't approve it, so he remains in office. Yeah, it, it's 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 pointless. It's a, it's a fucking act. It's a waste of time. And while they still say all of Donald Trump's impeachments that he was acquitted in both are legitimate, they'll say Joe Biden is completely fraudulent. Of course. Yeah. And, I mean, removing Joe Biden from office or from the election cycle heading into 2024 inserts Gavin Newsom as the DNC's and Democrat Party's, you know, potential and eventual nominee, which changed the dynamics of a lot of things. Not necessarily with President Trump. But based off the fact of who Gavin Newsom decides to run with, maybe the vice presidential pick, we might not get as good a caliber as one as we're going to get off of Donald Trump's original choice because there's always that dynamic where they have to debate with each other and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure that anybody that Donald Trump picks now can talk about the spaces that keep us apart and bring us together and mm. the fact that school buses are yellow in a debate with Kamala Harris. So 
you know, that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying we, we do have options, and I think trying to just impeach Joe Biden in the House of Representatives might not be the most prudent one, even though every single legal person we've brought in on this show and, and probably John Pierce, who's going to be jumping on with us in a minute right now, are going to tell us he's 100%, 110% crossed the threshold to meet impeachment-level proceedings. But I've got one more clip here. CNN obviously running a little cover game for Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and friends. Let's hear it. With specifics, tell us these phone calls that were a matter of such uh, discussion yesterday. Like, what were they about? What would what would then Vice President Biden say in these conversations? You know, walk us through what happened. Right. So uh, let's put this in context. Bo Biden got very sick in early 2015. Oh, he died God. in the spring of 2015, which was right in the middle when Devin he, Archer he didn't die um, had his his business dealings uh, with uh, Hunter Biden. At that point, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden began to speak every day because they were both devastated by Bo's death. They spoke every day. The witness testified that over his 10-year relationship with Hunter Biden, there may be approximately 20 times when in one of those conversations, uh, Hunter Biden would put his uh, father at a dinner, not at a business meeting, at a dinner that he was having if he happened to get a hold of his father and would ask his father to say hello to whoever was at the table. And that was essentially the extent of it. They didn't. He. It was unclear. And and the witness testified. It's not me saying that. The witness testified that a lot of times, most of the time, Joe didn't even know who the people were at the dinner table. So this was just simply. Uh, this may have been Hunter's effort to say, "Hey, this is you know the vice president. This is my dad." But the critical part here for Congress, and that's what we have to make sure we understand, is that Joe Biden was doing nothing to benefit his son. So, Congressman, uh, you used the word elude. Wait, what? Mm -hmm. Really? That might be the case. Hunter Biden might have been doing everything to benefit his family by using his father. Mm. But it doesn't mean Joe Biden was willingly or no. He's not blissfully unaware of what's going on. I agree. 10% for the big guy. Sure. Because so 10% is, like, not much. Well, it's like he talked about 20 times if, if every time. I mean, I guess in those quantities of money, 10% is a lot. I guess I'm just thinking of, like, a five, discount. $5 million a pop times 20. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Mm, I mean, where does Joe Biden get the money for all these houses? He owns, like, a $3.5 million beach home. He owns houses in, like, five different states. Do you own any beach homes? No. No. Me neither. It's a shame. It I'd is. Like, I'd like a beach home. Well, this, this whole situation is a shame because the same things that for the last seven years that they've made out about Donald Trump are now all coming to fruition as being really happening on the Democrat side and, you know, was happening in the Senate and via the office of the vice president when Joe Biden was in them. And, and we all know that Barack Obama knows. We'll talk about, you know, uh, actually I'll mention right here. So Joe Biden and, and Barack Obama had a dinner this week. Wonder how that went. <laughs> but it was revealed that Barack Obama warned Joe Biden and said there are a lot of people in the media and in politics right now who are underestimating Donald Trump and you probably shouldn't do that. So who knows? That's why the indictments have ramped up again. Uh, who knows what other bombshell revelations we're going to get like this Devin Archer testimony where Donald Trump's going to finally get his Georgia indictment, which is definitely coming down the pike. But, you know, according to the president, 
And and I love it when he paraphrases people like Thanos. <laughs> you know, it, it, you, you can't really take away from the fact that the guy's having a good time doing it. Here's a true social post from Donald Trump. This came out yesterday right before he hopped on a plane and went down to D.C. for his arraignment. I need one more indictment to ensure my election. <laughs> End quote. All caps. Only one exclamation point. That's so. We'll be covering this in a little bit more throughout the course of the show and with our guests. We're getting ready to jump in with constitutional attorney John Pierce right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a veteran and the chairman of the National Constitutional Law Union. Really excited to sit back down with John Pierce. John, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you so much for having me back on. Great to be here. Well, we just wrapped up talking about the Devin Archer testimony, deposition, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you could clarify from what you've heard for our listenership this week. Uh, you know, and it's the way the media is spinning it right now. It's kind of like, did he really testify? Did he really give a statement that can lawfully hold up somewhere? You know, I saw a clip the other day from a Maria Bartiromo show, and she had on a lawyer and Congressman Chip Roy, and she was kind of berating both of them to ask if this guy was put under oath before he gave his deposition and, and neither of them would answer. So based off of what you've heard or how you see this kind of situation developing from a legal standpoint, which is where your line of expertise is, what can you tell us that, uh, you know, how you feel this is kind of going down after the week that was? So, um, you know, I do have to say that uh, with all the January 6th trials we have coming up, I think we have 10 scheduled for the rest of the calendar year. Um, it has been a little bit tough to follow all the details of uh, other things going on. But, of course, you know, have been following that, um, you know, as much as possible. Um, I also have to say, um, and it's probably no secret to you, um, if you follow me on Twitter a little bit, um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of faith in the uh, GOP establishment and uh, the GOP house right now. Um, so, you know. <laughs> Uh, we, we, I guess we got to take what we can get from them um, at this point. Um, you know, if he, if he went in and he testified before any kind of congressional committee, um, it certainly should have been under oath, um, even if it was a uh, voluntary deposition or something like that. Of course, there is a distinction between if somebody is subpoenaed by Congress and if somebody comes in for a, a voluntary interview. Uh, but the only difference there would really be, um, you know, in, on the one hand, they would not be uh, compelled to have to answer questions. They would not be subject to contempt um, uh, as opposed to if they were subpoenaed. But, um, you know, I don't know I don't know the direct answer to whether he was put under oath. I certainly uh, hope so and assume so, but I, I, I don't know if he was or not. Now, as someone who, you know, works in, in the defense field and, and obviously, you know, you see the Republican House, whether or not we have a ton of faith in them, I mean, their lack of ability to, you know, formulate a concrete strategy and act upon. So uh, it seems like there's a lot of people always running in different directions. Who wants to get impeached? You know, who they want to go after, how they want to go after them. Maybe we shouldn't go after this guy. This guy definitely needs to get taken down. But when you see kind of what they're trying to build in the background here, and I feel like we're still in like the infant stages of this investigation. I don't really see any plus that America gets by impeaching Joe Biden. Has he crossed the threshold, whether or not that holds up in court for impeachment? 
Probably so over the course. I mean, you know, the New York Post broke a story yesterday. It had a letter thanking Devin Archer for basically pay for play all the way back from 2011. That's, you know, a long time ago. And, and when, when you just kind of look at the totality of things, but what do you think the strategy is here to, to do that, you know, to bring him in to testify and, and then not come out as wanting to move forward with, you know, the process that could lead to Joe Biden eventually being charged with crimes? Or do you think Joe Biden did cross the threshold to be charged with crimes? Uh, just based off of what you've heard in the media, obviously, we all know in our listenership, just to clarify, John's not working on this case specifically. But, you know, someone who, who's kind of seen this develop over, I mean, it's, it's longer than a decade that accusations have been made, but this is the most concrete evidence we've seen since. I mean, it certainly does seem from the reports that I've read about his testimony that what a lot of people have suspected for quite some time uh, is true, which is that uh, Hunter Biden, in fact, was essentially, um, you know, selling the influence of his father um, and of the Biden family name uh, and getting paid a lot of money for it. Um, and that what occurred with respect to uh, Burisma and Ukraine uh, and Joe Biden's, um, you know, very uh, famous sort of public statement about the billion dollars um, in connection with, uh, you know, removing the attorney general over there. I mean, it certainly does now seem that, you know, those things have been verified and also that it's been verified that the family, uh, including Joe Biden, it, is, it seems, um, you know, has, has been taking in millions and millions of dollars from uh, countries that are essentially our enemies, uh, like the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and so to me, it certainly seems like the threshold has, has long been crossed on that and many other things to justify um, an impeachment um, of Joe Biden. Now, you know, certainly he's not going to be convicted uh, in the Senate. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I do think there is some uh, there is some value to uh, having a public trial in which all the evidence can be brought forward in a way that is very um uh, clear for the American people to see and to also, uh, you know, set a historic um, historical precedent that what he has done is impeachable in the eyes of the House of Representatives. I, I don't expect they will actually do that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think Kevin McCarthy will allow that to happen. Um, you know, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but, you know, again, we, we got to take what we can get at this at this point And at the very least, um, you know, the American people are seeing uh, to some extent this evidence of the Biden family corruption, uh, which plays into, you know, this two tiered system of, um, you know, justice that we have. And ultimately, um, you know, it's going to be the uh, American people, the ballot box in November 2024 that really make the most important decisions. I, I do think that Joe Biden should be impeached. I think Merrick Garland, I think Christopher Ray, and I think Mayorkas um, all have earned it. Sure. Um, you know, whether or not that happens, I think it's highly unlikely with the current House leadership. But that's just my view. No, that's that's a great point. And, and the latter is where we here on the show, a lot of the people, you know, obviously close to Trump world who we interact with and interview with uh, on a regular basis also feel the same way. Like, you know, we can let this legal process kind of play out. Joe Biden has the opportunity to lose the election next year. And if so, they want to move into kind of legal proceedings like this. I think one of the big questions a lot of people in the media aren't asking, John, this is just, again, opinion based. Let's take out any of the tax-related and fair-related crimes out of this, okay? And, and let's pretend that they don't exist, because that's going to be one of the angles that, you know, the, the, the Biden defense team eventually plays. Is it illegal for Hunter Biden, as a private citizen, to use his father's name and in the positions he held to go around and make business deals across the planet? 
You know, with respect to, I mean, if you set aside the FARA issues and the tax issues, if if Hunter Biden is doing it, um, you know, kind of strictly on his own uh, and his father's not involved in it and doesn't benefit from it, um, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in that sort of field of uh, law with respect to, um, you know, kind of public corruption and whatnot. Um, it, it may it may it may not be. Um, but, you know, really the important thing is that what we see now is that this is about Joe Biden, yep. not so much Hunter Biden. And, and that's the I think that's the key issue that came out of the Devin Archer testimony is that, you know, Hunter Biden um, obviously has his issues and it's, you know, um, you know, th- that is what it is. But this is really about Joe Biden's corruption, which has, you know, been around for a long, long time. And I think a lot of people have known about it. Um, but now we're really seeing that it's about Joe Biden, not so much Hunter Biden. Yeah, and don't try going after your political opponents for the same thing because then obviously at some point they're going to flip the script and start pointing out all the stuff that you and your family has done, which is where I want to segue to next. So Donald Trump was arraigned yesterday in the Jack Smith-led special counsel investigation into his crimes, alleged crimes stemming from January 6th. Now, John, when you saw the charges that were released earlier in the week, I believe they broke late in the afternoon on Tuesday because we had just wrapped a show and, of course, the news cycle spins out of control before we could even get the podcast edited and up. But when you go through those charges, just off the face value, what do you, what are you seeing? It seems like to me, I wrote a brief op-ed, I threw it out on our Substack that this this seems to be like a, a groundbreaking case of challenging, you know, someone's First Amendment rights to be able to formulate, you know, their opinion on something. I, I know you can't get much bigger than the decision on a presidential election, but that's neither here nor there. The First Amendment is what the First Amendment is. What are you seeing when you saw those tra- charges get dropped and read off by Jack Smith? So, so from a from a practical, real life standpoint, having you know lived through this for the last two and a half years, of course, it did not surprise me in the slightest because you know it's been clear that um, this is sort of the uh, the end game that uh, the DOJ has been leading up to with the way that they have conducted you know the the other prosecutions um, and also the way that the uh, January sixth Select Committee um, you know kind of kind of played its part in all of this. Uh, but from a legal standpoint, it's really it's stunning and it's shocking and it's outrageous and it's it's very dangerous. Um, so you put your, uh, you know, finger right on it, which is, um, I think this is arguably the most brazen, um, dangerous attack on the First Amendment um, and political speech that we've ever seen uh, in the history of the country. Um, you know, th- this essentially criminalizes politics. Um, you know, Don- Donald Donald Trump has every right to to challenge the results of a presidential election arguably he has an obligation as the chief magistrate and the chief executive of the country um to to challenge uh the results of an election if he believed uh that they were fraudulent um he has the right to twist uh political arms he has the right to receive uh advice from counsel um, and make decisions on that um, and so, you know, it's it's really a brazen and chilling attack on the First Amendment and really a chilling uh, attack on the attorney client privilege and the attorney work product doctrine. Um, and I think what you're going to what you're going to find is um, that, you know, in order to get any kind of conviction here, just theoretically, they would have to have evidence that Donald Trump actually believed that the election was you know, legitimate and that it was not stolen. And I think if we know anything about Donald Trump, um, you know, he thinks he, he thinks he wins everything. Um, and uh, millions and millions of Americans thought he won that election. So I don't think you're going to uh, see a shred of evidence um, there. And, and also there's 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 a lot of um, sort of an inconsistency in the indictment where on the one hand, you probably recall reading this, uh, he says, look, Donald Trump has a right to uh, say what he wants to say about the election under the First Amendment. He also has a right 
to to lie about um you know w- what he what he what he thinks right and all politicians lie with pretty much every breath so if we're going to start uh charging politicians for lying and of course here i don't think donald trump did uh, but if that's going to be a theory of liability for politicians criminal liability uh you were you were going to have uh, i mean politics is essentially going to come to a screeching halt at this point and it's going to be uh taking place in the courts of law which is not the way our system is designed no, just when you thought the federal government couldn't move any slower, that would really gum up the works even more, probably at a level we've never seen uh, up to this point. And, and another, another uh, thought, just if I can just jump in real quick, um, you know, and if you go to uh, the NCLU uh, website, uh, nclu.com, and it's going to change to nclu.org here imminently. But we have a uh, white paper that we just put up about the Trump indictments, uh, very detailed, and uh, I think everybody should uh, take a chance to read it. And essentially what it argues is, that there is a very good argument under the uh, text of the Constitution and the um, you know the original uh, meaning of the Constitution that a president cannot and should not be indicted uh, for any acts that occur in the course of his um, administration unless he has been impeached for those uh, acts already. Uh, because again, what you're going to have is a very very chilling effect on the executive um, if he cannot uh, feel like he can make decisions that are squarely within his discretion uh, as the chief executive and protected by the First Amendment. Um, if he is going to be indicted uh, uh, for those things by the opposing political party afterward, uh, even if he hadn't gotten impeached. So that, that is another line of argument that I haven't seen uh, a lot of folks talking about, but I think that's a very um, uh, compelling and valid uh, argument that the uh, defense team can make. Yeah, especially since Donald Trump beat some of those charges that were outlined on this Tuesday in, in his second impeachment trial, uh, exactly. which, which kind of just seems like a waste of time to me. But, you know, they're going to let this process play out and try to damage his goods as much as they can until they get to the ballot box next year. It just seems like it's not sticking and it's not working, at least at this point, uh, for the former president. John, last thing I want to touch with you on, very important. You were on the show with us recently, and you previewed some of the cases you were getting ready to work on for some January 6th defendants. You've got some more, as you teased at the top of this segment, coming down the pike. You want to give us the latest update on some of the stuff you're working on? Absolutely. Uh, so we have a trial uh, starting um, August uh, 8th, next Tuesday. It's actually in front of Magistrate Judge uh, Ubadiah, who handled the proceedings yesterday um, with respect to President Trump. Uh, we have a trial on August 22nd, uh, September 5th. We have a trial before Chief Judge Bosberg. Um, we, we essentially have two or three trials per month uh, for the rest of the calendar year and into early 2024. I'm also very excited that on um, uh, one of the cases that we uh, just got retained on a month or two ago that um, uh, I'm actually co-counseling with Professor Alan Dershowitz. Nice. Um, uh, who, you know, it's just very exciting to have somebody who's, uh, you know, comes from a different sort of political philosophical standpoint as uh, somebody like me, but is as dedicated to civil liberties um, as, as we are. So I think that's a, that's a very exciting thing. So it's one trial after another. And um, you know, this, this isn't going to end until uh, you know, we get Donald Trump back in office and uh, sort of deal with these things decisively. No, but it's glad that you're out there fighting on the front lines and, uh, you know, letting our listenership know that there are amazing patriots and people in the field of law. You know, yourself teaming up with Alan Dershowitz sounds like a dream team right there. And it's going to be absolutely great to see, you know, these guys getting fought for all the way up until hopefully Donald Trump gets back in the White House and then we can, uh, you know, get this cleared up a whole bunch faster. John, we're going to live link the law union in the show description today. We want people to be able to not only check it out, but help you out any way you can. What's your social media so we could direct them there as well? Yeah, so um, so the NCLU social media is NCLU underscore org um, on Twitter and everywhere else. And also I am on Twitter um, myself at uh, Cali Kid JMP. That's C-A-L-I-K-I-D-J-M-P. 
And this is the chairman of the National Constitutional Law Union, Mr. John Pierce. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate it. Why didn't Garland, he seemed like he was going to do nothing about this for the first two years. It seems as though every time Trump goes higher in the poll, he gets a new indictment. It seems to me, after you learn of the real dealings behind the Bidens, the next day he gets indicted. Anytime there is new information, the federal government just seems to have a two-tier system. Now, I read the indictment very carefully. There is no smoking gun. There is no one who is credibly prepared to testify that Donald Trump said to him, I know personally I lost the election. There's a lot of evidence that people told him he lost the election. But you know Donald Trump, and you know that he's going to make up his own mind. And they're going to have a very hard time proving that. Now, it's the District of Columbia. Ninety-some-odd percent of the jury pool will have voted against them. So they may actually get a conviction from a D.C. jury. But will it survive appellate review and review to the Supreme Court? I do not think so. ...is in a very dark place right now. But even after everything the deep state has done to me, I will never give up on America. Mark my words, in 2024, we will win back the White House. We will make America great again. I have no doubt about it. They come at me from left. They come at me from right. The rhinos, the communists, the Marxists, the fascists. We will not only survive, we will be stronger than ever before. We're fighting a fight like nobody ever thought possible, and we're winning. We won in 2016. We had a rigged election in 2020, but got more votes than any sitting president. We're going to win like never before, and we're going to make America great again. I can truly say, I believe, better than ever before. Thank you for all of your support and for all of your prayers. All right, coming out of our segment now with John Pearson and jumping right back in with one of our great friends. Always happy to sit down with an attorney for President Trump who works at Save America, Miss Christina Bob. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm going to say it. Tell me if this is accurate. Happy Friday with a question mark? Um, I think it's accurate with the question mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm just happy to be getting this stuff behind us because they can only go so far, right? They've, they've passed the point of no return. Um, our nation is in deep turmoil by the actions of a few radical Marxists uh, that happen to be in positions of power. Uh, but we will clean it out. We will we will get this cleaned out. We will get past this. And yeah, it, so as, as much as this has been a sad week, I'm happy for where we will eventually go. And I'm going to have to you're gonna have, that was a great opening monologue statement right there, Christina. You're just going to have to give us the heads up next time. I will get the end of the Trump rally super sad music and play it over your <laughs> opening statement next time you're on the show because you took me back. And uh, where we can enjoy nice things like the Pennsylvania rally that President Trump had or, or all the amazing poll numbers that have been coming out uh, over the last several months, we have to worry about this BS of Donald Trump getting dragged down to Washington, D.C. yesterday. I could and, have that music in post. There you go. <laughs> We could do that and and dragged in the federal court to be arraigned once again for crimes. I don't know, according to Jack Smith against humanity, but we're going to listen to his uh, little soundbite from the other day first. And then I would like a legal interpretation from you. Let's check it out. 
Good evening. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. They are patriots and they are the very best of us. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives in the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. Since the attack on our capital, the Department of Justice has remained committed to ensuring accountability for those criminally responsible for what happened that day. This case is brought consistent with that commitment, and our investigation of other individuals continues. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. In the meantime, I must emphasize that the indictment is only an allegation and that the defendant must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. I would like to thank the members of the Federal Bureau of Investigation who are working on this investigation with my office, as well as the many career prosecutors and law enforcement agents from around the country who have worked on previous January 6th investigations. These women and men are public servants of the very highest order, and it is a privilege to work alongside them. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> we, I think we all held in our laughs there for, for the entirety of that clip. Well, why did he sound like he was going to cry? Well, that's the thing. Before we get into like the it's actual just fucking theater at this point, breakdown of charges. You know, every time you see Jack Smith on social media, he's wearing like that uh, robe he wore at the Hague, where it almost looks like a Marvel movie battle armor, and he's got his beard and like a menacing face. And then when I see this guy go up to the podium the other day. Just another 90-pound, empty suit, sweaty, pale, looked tired. His voice was, like, trembling while he's reading these charges because he knows this whole thing is a fucking sham. I saw my son use a bicycle as a weapon. <laughs> well, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I agree. No, it's just... Step uh, brothers, come on. You know, they, they make these guys up to be, like, the evil characters. And then when you see him in real life, you're like, I want to give that guy a wedgie and take his lunch money and put him in a locker. <laughs> Well, that's how that's who these people are. These these are not just the bullies. I mean, some of them are the bullies, but, you know, and quite honestly, I think Republicans fit into that category more. They're the sure. ones that make lunch for the bullies to <laughs> be part of the cool club. So once again, they've indicted Donald Trump for the crimes of Joe Biden. Joe Biden did not legitimately win that election. I don't think most Americans think he won that election. 
Uh, Joe Biden was the one who conspired with people to defraud the United States, to disenfranchise voters, uh, to do everything that they've indicted, indicted Donald Trump for. Joe Biden was the one who actually did it. Once again, we will prove another conspiracy theory correct. I always knew that this was going to be the hardest one, but I've always said it'll be the last one and everybody's going to basically shit their pants when they figure out how they're going to do this. And I think Jack Smith and, and the charges and allegations, especially when you're talking about First Amendment interpretation and, and things of that nature, the, the Pandora's box that they're opening and, and the allowments for the Trump legal team to not only have subpoena power, but to be able to get depositions from other people who normally wouldn't even have you know been relevant anymore unless the Biden mm-hmm. DOJ didn't want to keep bringing up and, and unhashing these old wounds. And I think it's going to be very telling when we finally get to the end of this and it's going to be a shocker to the American people, all the ones who refuse to acknowledge in some way, shape or form how bad the 2020 presidential election was. I think there's a lot of people who have gotten away with crimes who are going to be very annoyed at this because they're all going to get subpoenas um, and have to deal with that. That said, I, one of my favorite parts about Jack Smith's speech is he's like, we are going to seek a speedy trial. That's awesome. You're the government. The right to a speedy trial belongs to the defendant, not the government. The government doesn't get to railroad a a charge down your throat just because they don't want to give the defendant time to gather all of the necessary evidence to actually fight this. So I do expect Jack Smith's team to push for a ridiculously fast trial without giving the defense an opportunity to actually collect the exculpatory evidence. Um, yeah, we'll see how the judge rules. Obviously, the judge can't deny any opportunity to collect evidence. So I, I fully expect very broad sweeping subpoenas for a lot of areas, not just state government, but federal government as well. Um, you know, all of the state officials in all the seven contested states, as well as CISA and the uh, obstruction, you know, the First Amendment censoring issues that went through all of that stuff is fair game. And and all of the post-Trump presidency stuff is relevant. The Arizona audit, the Michigan investigation, the Wisconsin investigation. You know, Jack Smith could have limited his indictment to the time period between November 3rd and January 6th, but he didn't. He went into the Arizona audit. He went into 2000 Mules. He went into uh, the Michigan Senate investigation. He went into all of the stuff that took place well after President Trump left office, which means we can also show all of the other investigations that have taken place post uh, Trump's time in office. And there's a lot out there. I've talked to a lot of groups on the ground. They've done a lot of investigative work. And I I don't know that Jack Smith realizes what he has done by bringing this. Well, he's in in for a surprise. I tell you what, even places like Pennsylvania, where I I think the former governor and, and attorney general there should be drug in and asked, why did you feel it was necessary to circumvent the state House and Senate's uh, law longstanding to change the, the voting method heading into the 2020 presidential election and use COVID as an excuse? You know, that was mm-hmm. that was debated on and deliberated over, legislated upon, and then they just changed it w- without, you know, any real reason other than, well, COVID. And, uh, yeah. and that's a violation of the Pennsylvania Constitution. According sure to the is. Pennsylvania Constitution, uh, it has to be a two election cycle change. Like, if you want to change uh, election procedures, you have to go through two election cycles to do it. And they just did it like overnight. They're like, what the heck? Let's just change everything. Well, I do, I do have some completely unrelated breaking news right now. Uh, Kamala Harris is delivering a speech in Southern California today, and she wants everybody to know, as the name suggests, 
community banks are in the community. <laughs> oh, scissor me timbers. I'm not even lying. I'm looking at it right now. Like, she <laughs> hasn't, nobody's told her to stop sounding like a fucking moron. No, why? It really is astonishing. Like, like yeah. Yeah, I don't. It's it's like a joke at this point. I honestly, oh, I can't say. I, I I think I believe that she's high as a kite all the time. <laughs> you know, the whole cocaine in the White House thing, where everyone's like, "Oh, it's obviously Hunter Biden's." I was like, you know, I'm not so sure. There are several people in that administration that I could see the cocaine belonging to. She's one of them. No, there's definitely um, there's definitely one that needs a pick me up from time to time. Well, I think she's one that got sucked into this whole scheme of, oh, yay, I'm going to be the vice president. Let me be the vice president without thinking like it might actually be a hard job. Mm -hmm. And she she jumped in not realizing how hard like how much criticism she was going to get from people. Yeah. And I think she's quite honestly, I think she's terrified all the time when she's in public. I think she's a complete fraud. I think she's a phony and she knows she's a phony. And so. She, I, I just think she does drugs to get through it. Perfect. Well, yeah. it's got to be daunting to get sucked in for a change. Mm. As opposed to. <laughs> Don't laugh, Christina. We're talking, oh about, we're talking about very serious <laughs> stuff on the show. Solid three seconds. I saw Brooke look at me and I was like, oh, shoot. We keep it a little bit light on our Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, which... <laughs> Consequently, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podbean, subscribe to the show and rate it. Don't forget to leave a review. And then on all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. All right, moving on. I did see, I think, the most celebratory cable news network, obviously following the arraignment yesterday with CNN. They had panel after panel on, and Trump is finished, et cetera. And when... New Trump attorney, uh, John Lauro, sat down with um, Caitlin Collins. She tried to push back on some of these things that are outlined in the indictment, and, and he pushed back a little harder than she was comfortable with. Let's hear it. That you just well, mentioned there in the courts. Right. What was not true, that, that there were states where ballots were sent out without people asking for them, where there were changes in verification, where there were instances where ballots were not being supervised at drop-off places. The, the president was told, given advice, that under these circumstances, the state legislatures have the ultimate ability to qualify electors. He followed that advice. Now, you may disagree as to whether or not those things actually occur or not that's why we have political debate we don't have criminal trials over that we have the discussion but like it we're just if having those things actually occurred or not john not under the first amendment but it matters if those things no. actually occurred because not not at all because it, under the it first does amendment it was actually fraud no no the first amendment allows but john let me stop you there because yeah. if if he's saying that there was fraud the first amendment doesn't allow the president of the united states to go and claim there was fraud when he was told there was not fraud and then tried to subvert the election by overturning legitimate electors. I mean, it says it right here in the actual indictment. Absolutely. The First Amendment protects all speech. If we're going to have a situation where the Department of Justice is going to fact check 
politicians and indict politicians for political speech and whether or not they're factually accurate, then this country will shut down politically because it's a never-ending cycle of tit-for-tat. And that's the risk of injecting politics into the criminal justice system. She's getting so, so right mad. now, people disagree with President Trump. What's going to happen four years from now if somebody disagrees with President Biden in terms of what he said during the election? That's why we don't criminalize political speech. Political speech under the First Amendment has, has an almost absolute protection. Nobody gets to judge whether it's true or not, except the American people. And but we John, do that in an election. We do that in an election. We do that in the case of a president by impeachment. But we don't indict people. John. It sounded like she was about to try to make a correlation between what Trump did and yelling fire in a crowded movie theater. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it seems like John Laura is ready to go and start dealing fisticuffs inside the courtroom, Christina. Did, uh... Oh, John Laura's awesome. I absolutely love him. I'm so excited that he's on this case. He's a fantastic lawyer. He was my lawyer. Um, so I'm really excited that he's now representing the president. I think he's really, really top notch. Um, I think Caitlin Collins is ridiculous, but she <laughs> seems to be willing to go toe to toe with people with decades more experience, uh, vast amounts of vast amounts more knowledge than she has. But uh, leftists seem to think that if you just have a really annoying, obnoxious tone, that somehow that will give you uh, credence in a debate. Uh, John Laura wiped the floor with her. There's absolutely no question that political speech is 100% protected by the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's exactly right that we don't criminalize political speech because it's just that. It's political speech. If you can't speak freely, we're not going to have free and fair debate in politics. We're not going to be able to vet people. And um, they've gone well beyond that. And they are criminalizing political speech and political conduct. And it's unconstitutional. Yeah, his demeanor throughout that was that of someone arguing with a child. Yeah. <laughs> and her... <laughs> Like biting her lips and shaking her head while he's talking. Oh, so mad. I wish I could have seen it. Prove so. Christine, I hear a lot of people referencing, uh, you know, let's talk about this angle with Vice President Mike Pence. We're going to touch on him a little bit later when we play presidential primary roundup, unfortunately, because he had some really awful sound bites this week. Our, our modern day Judas type. Hmm. Right. We don't compare President Trump to Jesus, so we'll call Mike Pence Judas type. Um, you know, as someone who's just repeatedly stabbed America first in the back and let us down. But when, when people are referencing this 1960 Hawaii electors mm -hmm. and, and the similarities into some of the things that there was the possibility of Trump lawyers using that as a reference point heading into the presidential election certification of 2020, do you see any kind of correlation? Like that legitimately yeah. happened. Republicans won Hawaii. Democrats sent alternate slate of electors. They wound up counting the Democrat delegates and, and votes for that state. And that state was was essentially awarded to JFK. That, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why the Trump attorneys did that, because there was historic precedent for it. And there was a question of, you know, uh, whether those states properly counted their election, whether the results in that state were proper. And so they sent an alternate slate. And the question was supposed to go to the states and say, you know, are you happy with the slate that you sent in? Or do you want to change it? Uh, because they had received letters from four states saying, hey, send them back to us. We want more time. We want to reconsider as a legislature, not as the Secretary of State who certified them and sent them in. So it was a perfectly legal, perfectly legitimate way uh, to handle this. And oh, by the way, uh, the First Amendment also protects the right to address grievances with the government. So 
if President Trump, and this it's really important, I, I really want people to understand this in the indictment. They, they have criminalized his speech saying he knew that what he was saying was wrong and he said it anyway for the purpose of deceiving people. And that's really important. So they, they basically are claiming that President Trump believes he lost the election, but is lying about it being rigged and stolen for the purpose of deceiving people. And the reason that's important is because <laughs> if he was not lying, what? No, there's a lot no, of things that I, that I know, but I know Donald Trump did not believe he lost the election. No. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't hold no, in the laugh. Like, like, like Stone is the only, he says it in his sleep. This is just an elaborate hoax that yeah. he's just, you yeah. know, doing this to to make it sound like he believes he he really lost. Yeah, go on. No, that's exactly right. In all four counts, in all four counts, they say that um, Donald Trump believes he lost the election here. And they say it multiple ways. First one, defendant co-conspirators used knowingly false claims of election fraud to get state electors, blah, blah, blah. Uh, these claims were false and defendants knew that they were false. And they, they it's all throughout the indictment and it's for all four counts. And the reason they have to say that, they have to plead that Donald Trump believed he lost the election and is making all of this up. They're doing that because if he, if he wasn't lying, if he was being honest and he honestly believed that the election was rigged and stolen, then as the president of the United States, he had a constitutional obligation to do exactly what he did. Mm -hmm. His his behavior is not only not criminal, it's obligatory as the leader of the country saying, hey, we are being subverted right now. And so the only way they can even try to piece together some type of illegal activity is if they accuse him of believing he lost the election and making up an elaborate hoax that the election was rigged and stolen. Excellent point there. I also saw that uh, they wanted to be like saying people like Cipollone and his narrative was correct. And people like Trump's other attorneys like John Eastman or anybody else who, who was an actual lawyer and a high ranking legal official who gave him advice that suggested otherwise was completely wrong. And not only are they trying to make it where Donald Trump lied and knew better, but he also has to interpret what two different people as like the final judge of what two different people are saying to him, which one is correct and can only go with the advice of the person who's saying what the government says is the correct narrative. You're exactly right. And they say that that's that's a very, very good point. It's important to make because it wasn't just Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman and Sidney Powell and Mike Lindell and all, you know, all of the, this host of people. He's also watching it on the news. He's yep. hearing it from state GOPs. He's watching uh, stuff on social media where people have started the stop the steal trend. There's thousands of people saying, hey, there's problems in our state. There's problems in our state. And he's seeing all this. But in the indictment, Jack Smith says the only people that the that the president should have been listening to was Mike Pence, senior leaders at the Department of Justice, the director of national intelligence, the director, I'm sorry, the Department of Homeland Security's director of CISA, mm. senior White House attorneys, uh, senior staffers on his campaign. Are you kidding? They're 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 criminalizing the fact that Donald Trump wasn't listening to staffers on his campaign. Oh, you mean Mark Meadows, who, who's kind of been erased from the news cycle and is probably cooperating to save his own ass with the federal government? He was supposed to listen to him? Probably. Yeah. But yes. So to your point, Ron, they're saying the president had an obligation to listen to his staffers and it's illegal for him to listen to the thousands of other people who are saying it's a problem. They have criminalized political dissent. Yep. That's what this is. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump chose to listen to the dissenters, those who disagreed with the federal government's interpretation of the facts. And as a result, they've criminalized his his decision. 
They certainly have. I also saw there was an article from Politico that broke late last night. I mean, I take them for about as far as I could throw them, but the Trump legal team is trying to uh, get a subpoena issued for the unaired Tucker Carlson Fox News documentary, The Exclusive, with the ex-head of the Capitol Police, who was in charge of security on the ground on January 6th, who also has alluded to Tucker Carlson that not only was the place infested with feds, but it was shaped up to be like a honeypot to where no matter how many America First people were there and how correctly they were behaving, that was going to go sideways regardless. So it's going to be interesting to see that. I've already seen a couple clips uh, circulating online. And and to say some of the testimony is damning, to say the least, for Nancy Pelosi, Muriel Bowser, and everyone else that had their hands in the cookie jar that day, um, you know, it, it should be interesting to see. Moving forward, I saw the gang on Tim Pool last night who's kind of flipping over and coming towards America first. They're, they're definitely feeling like they're getting their tickets punched for the Trump train again. We're talking about this indictment and the two-tier justice system. Let's hear them. All right, here's the story. Ladies and gentlemen, today, Donald Trump arrived in Washington, D.C., pleaded not guilty. Political reports, Trump pleads not guilty to charges that he conspired to overturn the 2020 election. At the former president's arraignment, prosecutors and defense lawyers signaled immediate disagreement over how quickly he should stand trial. So my understanding is, I think the, they have it in here somewhere, the next date will be August 28th. Was that it? Do they even, how, how far down do I got to go for, for them to confirm it? But I'm pretty sure, here we go. Chid Khan's first hearing was set for August 28th. Before then, prosecutors in Trump's defense team were ordered to submit briefs proposing a schedule for the trial. Chid Khan expects a, to set a trial date at the August 28th hearing. Trump criticized Chid Khan in a social media post a few hours before calling her unfair. So apparently the reporting is that Jack Smith is trying to try this extremely quickly, saying we need a speedy trial here, probably because the primaries are coming up. And, uh, you know, there's another story we'll get into. Ron DeSantis debating Gavin Newsom. I kind of feel like that's what the deep state is hoping for. Gavin Newsom, not Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis, not Donald Trump. I am not trying to imply that either of them are working for the deep state or the intelligence agencies, I am saying that they don't want a failing Joe Biden because he can't win, and they despise Donald Trump, so they're trying to get whatever they can. Thus, Jack Smith is like, let's get this speedy and, and, and rushed through. But uh, I want to... I Good point that he's making there. I, I always thought that Gavin Newsom was going to be the eventual replacement for Joe Biden, whether it's because, you know, the House Oversight and Judiciary and Weaponization Committee can get something done in regards to getting the impeachment inquiry rolling or whether Joe Biden, you know, fakes a health issue uh, or has a real one and, and can't participate in the 2024 election campaign. I also think that, uh, you know, when they talk about the stuff with Donald Trump, as Christina has so elegantly alluded to, it's not going to be a speedy trial once things get rolling because the Trump team is going to use absolutely every tool and avenue they have to make sure their point is not only made, but it also sets up the constitutional and legal basis for the angle that they took regarding that there. Christina, when you see some of these other commentators kind of coming out of the woodwork, I mean, we're going to talk about it a little bit later in our next news segment, but even... Joe Rogan and, and Donald Trump seem to have mended some bridges lately. Uh, I think last time we were on, we touched with you on, you know, Trump's uh, speech where he talked to Megyn Kelly. He's going to be appearing on her show. It looks like after what Joe Rogan mm -hmm. said yesterday, we'll play the clip for our listenership in just a bit. Uh, it looks like he's going to be doing his show as well, which is going to be really interesting, uh, I think, to say the least. I, uh, they do all the shows there, and, and he's in the den <laughs> – Smoking weed, eating CBD candies, and, and, and drinking beer, and Donald Trump's just going to have all the Diet Cokes lined up in front of him. I think it's going to be right. interesting to see. You think Trump's going to get in the ice bath? 
No, do you, no. Th- do you think Joe Rogan's going to have like the spread he had for the sports teams that used to go to the White House with all like the big guys oh. stacked up on top of each other? Yeah. That'd be pretty awesome. Uh, no, I think that's going to be great. And you know, Donald Trump, Donald Trump does media better probably than any president in history. Yeah. I mean, he made a career. I mean, he made a career out of a lot of things, but one of them was being famous on TV, doing cool things that people enjoyed watching, and yep. so. I think watching him with Joe Rogan and Megyn Kelly, I think that's all great. And that's largely why a lot of these establishment Republicans hate him because they've spent their entire careers trying to get the nation behind them or to see their value and to realize what great politicians they are for the nation. And Donald Trump didn't do any of that. He went and made billions and was like, hey, I can do that. How hard can it be? And he walks in and does it better than everybody. So, uh, yeah, they hate him. No, oh, it's going to be phenomenal to see some of this stuff ramping up. I think they they haven't even begun to really get out there and show all the different ways they're going to use to get President Trump in, in the living rooms and in front of so many more yeah. Americans that he didn't get to use because of the, the pandemic and all that crap that was going on at the end of, you know, the 2020 election cycle. It's going to be so much different. It's going to be – I saw some people – there was an editor last night. I can't remember where he was from. I think from the New York Times, and he threw out a quote on Twitter – or a post on Twitter, and it was like, today is the first day that I felt like Donald Trump could win. And it's just like they're all seeing it. Like you know, if you got editors at the New York Times finally saying like this guy is is getting back to his unstoppable levels oh, that yeah. he became at the end of the 2016 cycle, then yeah. then they're in for a little bit of trouble, and, and we're in for another Trump presidency. I got one more clip I'm going to play for you guys, Donald I feel, Trump. I feel like I remember Joe Rogan saying like a long time ago that he would never have Trump on too. So this is yep. pretty good. No, it, it is. He he's made quite a turn. Um, one more clip, President Trump post arraignment pre-flight home on the tarmac yesterday uh, before he got off the plane, drove back to Bedminster and showed up at somebody's wedding to tell them how amazing they were and, and played DJ for a little bit. Let's hear the 45th president. Well, thank you very much. This is a very sad day for America. And it was also very sad driving through Washington, D.C. and seeing the filth and the decay and all of the broken buildings and walls and the graffiti. This is not the place that I left. It's a very sad thing to see it. Uh, When you look at what's happening, this is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. This is the persecution of the person that's leading by very, very substantial numbers in the Republican primary and leading Biden by a lot. So if you can't beat him, you persecute him or you prosecute him. We can't let this happen in America. Thank you very much. He wasn't wearing a beekeeping suit in that interview, was he? He had an umbrella on because it was raining. <laughs> it sounds like it. Like if I was imagining, it was Donald Trump in a bunch of like beekeeping. I like it. I mean, they're standing next to the plane engine, so it was literally on the tarmac. And uh, I was kind of bummed that they didn't have another post-indictment after party, but who knows? I guess we could have one after the Georgia one that's coming mm-hmm. down the pike. We're getting ready to jump in with the official spokeswoman for President Trump, Liz Harrington. But before we do, Christina, we want to thank you for coming down, spending some time with our listenership today, providing a little commentary and explaining some of the legal ease, which we could only kind of comment on here on the show. You're a little bit more of an expert. Um, I do feel like after going through this segment and, and all the segments that you're on, I feel like in a fight you could probably beat up Kate and Collins 
uh, pretty handily. I mean, you, you. Oh, thanks a lot. You're, like you're the fact that that would even be a question is offensive. I would love to see it, and uh, I want to be able to direct everybody to support you the best way we can. So we're going to yeah. live link your book in the show description today. Anything else you want us to live link, and please your social media handle. Um, yeah, stealing your vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. Please take a look at it, not just because it's a direct contradiction to the indictment, but it's so important for cleaning up our elections for 2024. Uh, Instagram and Twitter is at Christina underscore Bob. And yeah, you can find me there. Yes, she is. And she's always here on Steak for Breakfast. We're hoping that she'll be back later this month. This is an attorney for President Trump who works at Save America. Miss Christina Bob, thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. You too. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, she's the official spokeswoman for the 45th president of the United States. Donald J. Trump, Miss Liz Harrington. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, it seems like we can't schedule you to just talk about all the great stuff like rallies and poll numbers because every time we make a date and decide to have you on the show a few days before, we have an indictment and an arraignment. I guess we're within, you know, uh, 24 hours of the last one. Liz, what can you tell us after watching that all unfold yesterday? <laughs> well, it's it's clockwork, right? And everyone has noted the... <laughs> The uh, purely coincidental every time that damning information comes out about the Biden crime family, here comes another indictment. And I'm sure the next time you guys schedule me, uh, we'll have another one. But it's all good because as President Trump just said, hey, I just need one more and my election is totally secured (laughs) because it keeps helping. It keeps helping him because... The American people see it. it. This is disgusting. It's sick. I mean, the audacity of this of these corrupt people who spent four years trying to defraud the American people and overturn an election with the Russiagate hoax, which they all made up and actually was collusion with Hillary Clinton and the FBI. And then they colluded with big tech to pretend that something that was real, the Hunter Biden laptop, was Russian disinformation. And they defrauded the American people again to interfere in an election. And that is exactly what this latest fake indictment is. It's another, uh, it's another fraudulent scheme against the American people. President Trump hasn't committed any crimes. In fact, there's a conspiracy against his rights to run for president and his freedom of speech. And all of his constitutional rights that he had every, uh, it was not just his obligation, it was his duty to voice uh, the objections for the American people over the rigged and stolen election. So what they're doing is the same thing they've been doing for eight years now. 
And I think Alina Haba said it really well outside the courthouse yesterday. They can't stand him because they can't own him. Mm -hmm. He cannot be bought. And that's what this is really about. They have control. They don't want to relinquish it. They don't want the American people to decide who leads our country. And it, but everything they try to do, though, makes it even more likely that he will be back in the White House. I mean, the poll numbers surely reflect it. You see some of these people that maybe even just six months ago that were still staunchly, especially in the media, never Trumpers, finally starting to realize, like, okay, this whole lawfare that they're playing is getting a little ridiculous. The, the coincidence is that all these things are happening to President Trump within 24 hours of, like, some bombshell revelation that, that goes against the current president and, and all the dirty stuff that him and his family are doing. And just, you know, seeing the way that President Trump is gaining strength and, and, you know, rising in the face of all this adversity every time he goes out in public, it's just, you can't hide the fact anymore that he was beloved. You can't hide the fact that, you know, uh, components of the federal government and, and, and a lot of these state systems were set up to work directly against him in the 2020 presidential election cycle. So many different contributing factors, whether it was changing laws or the way people vote, the amount of time you had to do it and, and how you collected those ballots. In addition to all the other stuff we've already seen, you know, the Time magazine article and all the different corporate entities, both foreign and domestic, who were working against him to make sure. And he still got 74 million votes. List. I think that's the biggest thing that not enough people talk about. And I think it's one of the biggest things that the mainstream media, the corporate press and the establishment government, you know, uh, apparatus wants us all to forget. Like not only did President Trump get 74 million votes Less than three years ago, they want us to think that those people aren't coming back out for him again next year and that nothing could be further from the case. <laughs> exactly. The most votes in history for an incumbent president, which on its face is unheard of and proof alone that the numbers do not make sense in 2020, because how do you gain votes? It never happens. You an incumbent president doesn't gain votes and lose re-election. It does not happen. Barack Obama lost millions of votes yep. from 2008 to 2012, easily was re-elected. It, it's, it's just everyone knows it. And that's the thing. You're, you made such a good point. It's the people, they can't hide it anymore. They can't hide how beloved he is. Uh, how much popular support he has, and that number is only going to grow. And I think that's why they have to resort to all these dirty tactics and trying to throw him in jail because they know that number is going to be even more next time, way more. And you know, do you know how much cheating had to go go into these swing states to? Barely get Biden. They claim uh, eleven thousand seven hundred and seventy-nine votes in Georgia. I mean, you have any idea how much work they had to do? Uh, it's it's sickening. That election is so corrupt. Uh, all the swing states. Uh, they wh why would they want to have to try to do that again? It's so much easier. Just hey, we're a third world country now. We're going to throw the leader of the opposition in jail on fake, phony charges. We're not just going to make up one crime. We're going to do it in every radical left-wing jurisdiction imaginable. Uh, hedge our bets to make sure that he can't run. Well, they've got a rude awakening in there uh, coming because nothing's stopping President Trump. 
Nothing is stopping this movement. It's only growing. And the people are just not going to take no for an answer. They will support President Trump no matter what. Uh, and he's not going to stop no matter what they do, no matter how many more lies they throw at him. No, it's the truth. And then when you see the absolute winner they pick, the, the federal judge who's going to be presiding over this case, long-term friend and donor of the Clintons and all of the people that worked in their administration, she's had to recuse herself from cases uh, regarding things like Fusion GPS before. Um, you know, she, she was appointed by Barack Obama. And her biggest wins have been putting people that were committed as few as one misdemeanor behind bars for items related to January 6th while habitually letting absolute criminals with 40-page criminal records walk out of her courthouse free people on a regular basis. This is the judge that they think is going to like uphold the scales of justice in regard to weighing Donald Trump's like first amendment right in, in federal court for this sham trial that they're trying to set up. Liz, you can't make up a bigger joke and, and I wish I could laugh a little bit harder, but it's getting to the point to where it's just sad. It, it is. It's so brazen. It's so obvious. And that's why they're bringing all of these sham cases in these types of jurisdictions where they think that they can rig the system and rig the game. But again, the American people see through this. And even people who, you know, tend to not support President Trump or, you know, wouldn't be inclined to vote for him, they see stuff like this and they say, that's just wrong. Yep. Everyone, it, our constitutional rights afford us due process, a fair trial. I mean, we have not gotten that in D.C. We've seen since January 6th. I mean, that's why they've been bringing all these cases. It's all been about going after President Trump. And that's why it's so key when he always says, you know, they're coming after me because they really want to come after you. And that's what this is all about. I mean, if they can do this to President Trump, They'll do it to anyone, and they already have done it to a lot of our supporters. Yep. They're doing it to lawyers. And just the fact, this is such a travesty. It would be laughable if it wasn't so sick. But reading that indictment, it's such a travesty to our Constitution. It shows that they have nothing but disdain for it. When they're going to name attorneys as co-conspirators. So now you don't have a Sixth Amendment right. Now you don't have you don't have a First Amendment right. You don't have a Sixth Amendment right. I mean, they're coming for all the rights, but it's just so obvious that they can't stand our system. If you disagree with this corrupt cabal, then they'll go after you and they'll trample all over your God-given rights. And it's really, really sickening. But, you know, Justice will ultimately prevail. They may think that they can rack up some wins in a very biased system, but the people see it. They understand fundamentally that it's unfair, that it's not right, that it's evil, quite frankly. They see it, and ultimately the rule of law will win, and it will rule the day. And, and we know that's going to happen. Well, we, we, we're on the same page with you there, Liz. You know, you, you mentioned these people that are that are coming back and, and so many more millions of Americans. You know, you saw uh, Megyn Kelly. She recently divulged that she had repaired her relationship with President Trump. They talked about what had happened in the past. Now it's water under the bridge. It looks like he's going to be doing her show soon. Uh, you know, they asked Joe Rogan yesterday after him and Donald Trump talked briefly at, at the, the last UFC event that they were at together. 
uh, Wednesday coming on the show, and Joe Rogan said, like, no, I don't know, but we're going to talk about it soon. It looks like he's going to be doing his show. You're talking about tens if not hundreds of millions of more Americans hearing Donald Trump for the first time in a couple years going through all this stuff. Liz, you even had some of the senior executives at Fox News uh, take a drive up to Bedminster and beg Donald Trump to do the first debate this week. <laughs> Very laughable. I, I Man, he put out that Hollywood Squares meme of it the other day. Of course, he had to be at 69% just because he's President Trump. But, <laughs> but listen, we all want it. He pulled the crowd at Pennsylvania. He knows that people want it for entertainment factor. He does not gain as much as he does, uh, has the opportunity to lose just by all of these absolute second-rate losers that are running in the GOP primary right now trying to hit him with a one-liner. Not like we don't think he'll hit them back, but, you know, it's just it gives them an opportunity to, to, to you know, set him up with the crap moderators they've got going on, early election caller enjoyer Brett Bear, And, uh, you know, <laughs> what can you say? More people are going to be hearing him, but even more people want President Trump all the time now. They don't just want to see him walking in and out of the courtroom. They want rallies. They want speaking events. They want him to do the debates. But but it looks like the tides is changing. I hear a lot of the donors are are pausing the way that they do and who they're giving money to right now. So it looks like things, even though we're we're, we're looking down the barrel of, of a of a couple pretty big legal issues, things are looking on the up and up. Exactly. And, you know, I think the big thing is, and we don't know what his decision is going to be at the end of the day, but uh, it really just kind of validates something that is a total fake news narrative. There is not a competitive Republican primary, full stop. There's not one happening. There's hundreds of millions of dollars being wasted and yep. lit on fire that could be used in the general election. Uh, trying to damage President Trump, who we know the American people, the Republican Party, want as their nominee. That is, they, it's obvious. All the polls say it, but it's not just the polls. Polls can, you know, they can put their finger on the polls. No, it is the absolute, amazing, unprecedented support like we've never seen before. I mean, everywhere this man goes, it's just the love that people have. And there, it's not a secret why. It's because he has fought so hard for this country. He's got unfinished business. He's the only real threat to the established system that is destroying our country before our eyes. That That's what this is about. And that is, you know, why, there's no primary going on. So why would you stand on stage when you're up by 50, 60 points and all of these people are, it, it's, it's just not, it's not happening. It's not a real, the, the voters don't want them. They're not going to go back. They're not going to go back to business as usual, the career politicians, uh, all the talk with no action. No, they want common sense. They want to make America great again. They have the real thing. Why would you why would you go back? And so that's the biggest reason why you wouldn't debate. And I actually hear from a lot of people that say, don't go, don't validate these jokers, do your own thing. And no one will even watch this uh, snooze fest. You're right. And, and you know, we, we've heard Tucker Carlson and President Trump both get asked, you know, hey, maybe you guys should do your own thing on the same night of debate. I bet you would get more ratings. And they both were like, you know, you're probably right. It would. But <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I mean, I, I think the only thing that these other candidates running in the fake GOP primary, because that's literally what we call it now. It's like they run a pretend primary 
they're not asked any questions about President Trump. They don't have to put out any policy platforms because all of their, you know, consultants that are getting millions and millions of dollars to say that not only they can beat President Trump is, but, oh, you don't have to put any policy platforms out until he goes to jail, and then you can put out whatever you want because we don't have to worry about pissing off MAGA. Like, those are two of the stupidest things I've ever heard as far as, like, campaign strategy in my life. Ron DeSantis was probably the biggest one who got thrown out there with, like, oh, yeah, just say you're going to end wokeness, defeat liberalism, and secure the border without any policy platform points or how you're going to do that and, and your campaign will be just fine. And, and, and we all know where that's at right now at single digits in a, in a lot of the important States. Exactly. And I love that. It's like, Oh, I'm going to end the weaponization uh, just after they take out the number one, most popular candidate, the guy leading in all the polls. We'll let them do what they're going to do to president Trump. I haven't read the indictment. You know, I can't really say, We'll let them do that. But the second I get in, that's when we end it. Give me a break. And it's the same type of stuff that, you know, just wait. We're going to secure the border. We're going to build the fence, right? It never happens. He is part of this corrupt system. I'm sorry. It's obvious. It's obvious that he was told, don't worry about President Trump. These indictments are coming we'll take care of him and it'll clear the pathway for you. Well, how is that working out for you? Now you've destroyed your record in Florida. You've destroyed any future you may have had, yep. uh, probably fooling the American people, quite honestly, because I think this was always calculated. I think he was always planning uh, for higher office. It's It's so disingenuous. And now he comes out and says that the 2020 election was legitimate and that he tries to smear. And what's so it's exact same thing that he way he answers the uh, weaponization question and the indictments. And if you'll pardon Trump and all these things, it's so it's so slimy the way he answers it. He discredits. I mean, we have so much evidence and the only silver lining about them turning us into a banana republic is maybe we'll actually get to air some of the evidence now yep. because they're bringing these fake charges uh, and relitigate some of this stuff. But he smears it all as, oh, Venezuela was stealing votes. It's a conspiracy theory. He tries to discredit all the concerns as you're just a crackpot conspiracy theorist. That is the same thing that the left does. It's the same thing that the fake news media does. And it's such a lie. That was not President Trump's objection to 2020. There are so many, not just the fact that they changed the Constitution, or violated the Constitution by changing the laws, uh, not in the state legislature, but unilaterally at the executive level of these states. But there's real hard evidence of manipulation and fraud, mail-in ballots, stuffing the ballot box, all of it. And he just discredited it all as basically saying you're crazy. That's 80% of the Republican Party. That's half the country. It's more than half of independents know that our elections are not secure. And DeSantis, once again, shows his true colors. And that's why he's doing so badly in the polls. He's just another hack politician. He certainly is. Speaking about doing bad in the polls, you got Joe Biden, who Donald Trump is beating in a lot of head-to-head matchups. Uh, recently, I just saw the new one out from from Emerson today that has him beating Joe Biden as well. I saw Nancy Pelosi was doing some of the uh, news cycle today. She's getting ready to hit happy hour here on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. And she said, I just want to let everybody know that the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry and the people that are pushing for that is just a big distraction from his historic job numbers, Liz. 
<laughs> I mean, gosh, have you seen the videos of him like meandering around on the beach? Dragging his chair. I mean, what <laughs> is going on? It, yeah, so those are really high approval numbers, I guess. That's why he's just, you know, not even running the country. He's off on a beach somewhere while his government, out of control, is arresting his number one political opponent. It's sick. It's a joke. Uh, I read a story this morning. They're like, man, the Democrat grassroots fundraising has really, you know, uh, dropped off. And some people are concerned. It's like, huh, I wonder if destroying the country had anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, it's it's just incredible. Um, but they're going to keep lying. They're going to keep doing what they're going to do. But the American people, the more this goes on, they see exactly what's going on. And that's why they're so scared. That's why President Trump is up by 10 points in general election polls. Yeah, I mean, listen, if there's a couple things that, that should be pretty eyebrow raising this week, and you can keep it, you can keep Donald Trump out of it, you can keep Joe Biden out of it. From our credit rating dropping from AAA to AA plus, yep. uh, which is really scary when, when you look at the big scheme of things. But when you start talking about the Dems and money problem, that's like the forbidden fruit that you don't touch. If there's one thing you don't have to worry about, it doesn't matter how shitty your candidate is, <laughs> how bad their track record is, the Dems will always have hundreds of millions of dollars to pour into those campaigns to make you think that they're at least servable. So when they're talking about money not coming in as it used to be, like, there's the there there. I don't know if Joe Biden's going to make it to the uh, to the actual ballot for 2024. I think they're getting ready to run Gavin Newsom probably. I mean... We talked about it on the show earlier, Liz. Kamala Harris reminded everybody that community banks are best known for being within communities today. So I don't think that she's a viable candidate. And uh, <laughs> we're just going to have to see how this shapes up. Just like every time you come on the show, Liz, you get to catch us up on all things MAGA. Really appreciative of it. We're going to live link President Trump's campaign website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? True Social at Real Liz USA and go to DonaldJTrump.com. Catch the live stream of the events. Uh, he's going to be in Alabama tonight and uh, it's going to be a good one. Guys, always on the move. And uh, Liz is always bringing the receipts here on the show. This is the official spokeswoman for the 45th president of the United States, Ms. Liz Harrington. Have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. You too. And I'll note the reason why that his approval rating is so low at this point is because it comes down to the economy. If you look at Joe Biden's approval on the economy right now, it stinks. It is well below 40 percent. You see it there. Thirty seven percent approval on the economy. And that's the top issue in our poll. So I don't think it's much of a surprise if you are stinking on the issue that's most important to the American public, that your approval rating also stinks. Joe Biden's been a goof his whole fucking career. He's always been a goof. He's always been he's been caught lying so many times. Yeah. He's so full of shit. There's so much evidence that he's corrupt. Just undeniable evidence of corruption. And the stuff with him and his son and then the, the guy who just testified that was business partners with uh, with Hunter yeah. who talked about all the different things that Joe was involved with. Evan Archer. Yeah. yeah. It's fucking undeniable. And the fact that they that mainstream news is ignoring this except for right-wing media it's fucking crazy the question is how solid a candidate is joe biden that's the problem that's and, exactly the problem and and what is exactly the problem that we don't know how solid a candidate joe biden is we know he's not a solid candidate exactly he is struggling i mean within his own hard, party it is hard to watch well it was great catching up with liz harrington 
Seems like the news is all in for Joe Biden and supporting his re-election candidacy right now. Weird. It's almost like they're bought and paid for. When you get that CNN panel saying, we know he's an awful candidate. And then when but still. the only policy platform that they've rolled out so far is Bidenomics. Wait, Bidenomics. And 37% of the public approve of the economy right now. Is that good? Bidenomics? That's a good thing? Depends on who you're listening to. I know. Not even CNN's promoting it anymore. I know. Did you see that uh, the Biden re-election team has put the dark Brandon Ashley at shower time meme on a coffee cup and Joe Biden did a commercial with it yesterday? Say what now? Mm-hmm. You know the dark Brandon meme, right? Yeah. And, and that was captured. Somebody snuck it onto. No, Joe Biden actually did a commercial with it yesterday. Oh. Yeah, so it's on a coffee mug, right? And it's the Joe, it's the dark Brandon meme with the laser eyes. Yeah. And uh, that meme was weaponized by America First meme makers as captioned with Ashley at shower time, obviously referring to the Ashley Biden pedo Joe diary excerpts. Which is confirmed to be true. Mm-hmm. So Joe Biden's sitting in the Oval Office and you see like a close-up of this cup and he takes a sip out of it and he like slams it down and he's like, I like my coffee. Dark. Really? Mm-hmm. That's the level we're going to? And a lot of Saturday Night Live? A lot of people were saying that Joe Biden dropped that commercial yesterday is kind of taking a victory lap on Donald Trump getting arraigned again. Like he doesn't give a shit. He's just going to make memes, but the meme is actually referencing him as him a pedophile. Being a fucking creep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She literally had to go and take showers at odd times of the evening and late into the night because old Scranton Joe would come in and. When you make the argument... Underwater sniff? You only have to look at, like, one factor. Those hairy legs aren't going to wash themselves. <laughs> Gross. Guys, I just want to remind everybody, we've still got former FBI whistleblower, best-selling author, jumping in for the first time with us today, Steve Friend coming in, back into this new segment. He's a new friend. He's a great friend. Let's play a little presidential primary roundup. So we all saw and, and, well, heard the bad news for Joe Biden. The news isn't really buying Bionomics. Over 60% of Americans hate him and the economy. His poll numbers are reflective of that. Vice President Mike Pence didn't have much of a better week either. Where he had gone up through... Does he know nobody gives a shit about him? No. The flies do. Oh, they love the flies. love him. This election process, and he... Vague- that was a Chinese drone, actually. There you go. Vaguely supported President Trump's pushback against the DOJ for trying to weaponize the Constitution to use against him in court. It seems like Mike Pence is just completely segue, 90-degree uh, angle away from that. Now he's on a Donald Trump is guilty of whatever he was guilty of, and he should never be president again. Think I'm lying? Let's hear our modern-day Judas-type Irrespective of the indictment, I, I want the American people to know that I had no right to overturn the election. And then on that day, President Trump asked me to put him over the Constitution. But I chose the Constitution, and I always will. And I, I, uh, I really do believe that uh, anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. And anyone who asks someone else to put themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again. I've been very forthright about this issue, and I'll continue to be. 
Now, with regard to the substance of the indictment, I, I've been very clear. I had hoped it wouldn't come to this. I had, I had hoped that uh, uh, this issue and the judgment of the president's actions that day would be left to the American people. Uh, but now it's been brought uh, in a criminal indictment, and I, I can't assess whether or not the government has the evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt what they assert in the indictment, and the president's entitled to a presumption of innocence. But for my part, I want people to know that I had no right to overturn the election, uh, and that uh, what the president maintained that day, and frankly has said over and over again over the last two and a half years, is completely false. Enough of that. Vagina. <laughs> Listen, we already clarified. All you have to do is go into your internet search engine. Alternate electors, 1960 presidential election, JFK versus Richard Nixon. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not, and weeks or months later, a recount showed that the alternate slate of electors that were sent to Washington, D.C. on Certify the Election Day were correct in the moment and falling out from that election in 1960, the Republicans won Hawaii and the Democrats bought an alternate slate of electors to Capitol Hill to the Senate for the vice president to certify as a Democrat victory in 1960 and that alternate slate of electors got the Democrat vote certified for JFK. And period, end of story. Mm-hmm. So to and, and when I mean, you, but if you're going to ignore that, then you can also ignore the 10 minute, you know, video montage of the Democrats saying that Trump didn't win the election and the election was rigged. And I'll actually play another one. Dominios. The at GOP Twitter account, mm-hmm. which we know could give two shits about President Trump and all the stuff that's going on. They actually put out a 24 minute highlight video of Democrats denying elections, especially Donald Trump. 24 Trump's. minutes worth. Yeah, it's a highlight. Wow. Low light reel. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, listen, what Jack Smith is alleging in this case and what Mike Pence fails to, you know, acknowledge is what we got into with Christina Bob a little bit. Jack Smith and the DOJ, per this indictment, is saying that there were people who were telling Donald Trump one thing and there were people telling Donald Trump another thing, right? Jack Smith says only the people who told him what the Department of Justice feels was constitutionally sound is what Donald Trump should have listened to, and he as a person with a First Amendment right to formulate his own decisions and have his own opinions and and have free speech could not listen or want to use the narrative of the other people who were providing examples like what happened with this alternate slate of electors regarding John F. Kennedy in 1960. So not only are they trying to formulate a way to punish Donald Trump for having an opinion, they're also trying to punish him for using an opinion that wasn't a favorable one in the eyes of the DOJ. If that makes sense to you, it doesn't really to us all the time, but it's literally what they're doing. And, you know, it's just a shame to see someone like Mike Pence, who served as the vice president with Donald Trump, who Donald Trump selected to be his number two, just completely try to separate himself from this, uh, you know, at a time when Donald Trump could, he could say the same thing that I just said. Do you think uh, Pence is going to start pivoting around towards Trump when it looks like Trump's actually 100% just got this thing in the bag? Not that I don't think he already does, but. I mean, outside of like NPR and PBS and like some podcasts, we're never going to hear from Mike Pence again after this election cycle. It's true. I saw maybe like a ShamWow commercial or something. There you go. Rising star within the GOP. Outlier. 
a newcomer of this election cycle. Vivek Ramaswamy sat down to talk about some of the challenges the GOP are facing in this primary, etc., with PBS for an exclusive interview. Let's hear him. So you're saying Trump wasn't able to fulfill his promises to the American people? I think that he fulfilled some of his promises. To be clear, I think that my view is Trump was actually a very good president, but he fell short of the level that I would want to see us go to. We didn't solve the border crisis. I've said I would use the U.S. military to secure the southern border. Take the Department of Education. He put a good person on top of it, Betsy DeVos. I believe an agency like that is not subject to reform. It cannot be reformed. I've said that I would shut down the U.S. Department of Education. So in many ways, I think Trump did not go far enough with the very agenda that he brought to office in the first place. And that's a big part of why I'm in this race. The real choice that I think the GOP faces in this primary is, do we want reform, incremental reform, or do we want revolution? I stand on the side of revolution. I think the GOP base stands on the side of the American revolution with me. And that's a big part of why it's going to take an outsider to get that job done. I'm going to need you to go into why we need a revolution. Well, I think we need a revival of the American revolution and its ideals. Which that's ideals? exactly what we need. Ideals like self-governance over say, aristocracy. Killing British people. The yeah. idea that we, the people, sort out our differences through free speech and open debate in the public square without elite interference. The ideal that it's not in the back of palace halls or three-letter government agencies that we decide the right answers to questions from climate change to racial injustice, but that the citizens do it in a constitutional republic, and we have lost that. But are you- yeah, I really feel like we're going to get Vivek on the show. I talked to his schedulers this week. They want to make it happen at some point in August before things really heat up. Obviously, after the Iowa State Fair, which is kicking off this weekend. But, you know, we are going to start our presidential primaries series starting next week. We're going to have a special edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, a one-on-one sit-down with GOP nominee hopeful Mm. Perry Johnson. We're going to be sitting down with him for the first time. There are a lot of people in America First that really like him. We all know that him and President Trump are are friends, and I could see Perry Johnson serving in, in a future administration as well. So we're still in the queue for... RFK Jr. And of course, the only person we'd like to have on the show in addition to that is President Trump, which we are extremely hopeful for getting. And like I said, we won't be bringing you Chris Christie and and Mike Pence and Tim Scott and Nikki Haley for as much as they want to go on other some some more of the boringer podcasts. And yeah, talk we'd about, be way too tempted to just play fart noises the entire time. Or I just w- would want to read poll numbers for 30 minutes straight. <laughs> so, uh, you know, at least some other candidates bring some different ideals and have attracted natural interest to the table. But when it comes down to it, and at the end of the day, I don't want to promote anything on this show that's not America first or something that isn't in the like interest scope of America first. It is really kind of a surreal thing when you think about like where we started with this podcast and now that we're actually like a main rotational stopping point for a lot of these candidates. Who would have thought? I mean, during the 2020 midterm elections, people were saying that we were like a rite of passage for a lot of the America First Trump-endorsed candidates. We had dozens of them come on the show. People who are senators, governors, House representatives now, you know, you got to hear them and their policies and and a, and a lot of times their hearts because we get into these interviews a little bit more than, you know, your five to seven minute hit on some more of the more established or, or mainstream ch- shows. And I think it... it leads our listenership to get the opportunity to know these people better on a human level. 
And I think when you talk about what attracts people to Donald Trump, it's that he's always been a very touchable person, a touchable candidate and politician. And when you can humanize the people that are running, you can just relate to him. It makes it a whole lot better. Yeah. So, I mean, there's tons of people that have told us no. There's tons of people that have told us yes. And a lot of people that have told us no didn't get over the finish line last November. So it's good to see that, uh, you know, we're going to be kicking off our presidential primary interview series. Oh, let's not forget the people that just rescheduled. There's a lot of that. A lot of moving parts on a, on a non-syndicated self-funding show here. But uh, yeah. I think I mentioned polls. Let's get into it. The recent, most recent from Reuters came out yesterday. 2024 National Republican Primary. Trump 47, DeSantis 13, Pence 8, Ramaswamy 7, Haley 5, Scott 2, Hutchinson 1. Let's jump into some of the states. Iowa Republican caucuses. Trump 42, DeSantis 17, Scott 10, Ramaswamy 6. Haley 5, Christie 4, Pence 4, Burgum 3, Hutchinson 1, still undecided 7%. Head-to-head, Trump is up 50-38 to 38 over DeSantis with 13%. Undecided, that's in Iowa. You, South Carolina, another I mean, top, these are low undecided, so yeah. that's good. Another top five primary state, Trump 43, DeSantis 21, Scott 11, Haley 8, Ramaswamy 4, Christie 3, Hutchinson 1, Pence 1, Suarez 1, undecided 6 Head-to-head, numbers of the same in South Carolina. Trump 50, DeSantis 38. New Hampshire, top five primary state. Trump 34, DeSantis 13, Christie 11, Ramaswamy 8, Haley 7. Best of the rest all at, you know, three all the way down to zero with eight undecided there. You've got to feel like the undecided are the people that are worried that somehow their political leanings are going to come out to the general public if they tell someone. Are you talking about the MAGA-shy voters? Yeah, there's a lot of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many people... I mean, if you go back to, for example, all these cancellations of Bud Light, Target, all these other uh, big box stores or whatever that are doing all the woke bullshit, like, people want to be, they don't necessarily want to be out front with what they're saying. They don't want to be, it's even like if you're posting, you're, you're sharing stuff on Instagram and it comes from, like, Trump retards 2026 or something like that. It's like, yeah. You know, I was going to show this, you know, share this clip, but there are some people who are moderates that want to be patriot, but not MAGA. Yeah, or or want to just uh, profess their patriotism and not go MAGA. go over the top. Yeah. Last poll I'm going to read first numbers out of Michigan for this election. I just want to say that I'm definitely MAGA. I think we both are. Well, we all <laughs> are here on the show. First numbers out of Michigan. In a while, Donald Trump's holding a 48-point lead for the Republican nomination. Trump 61, DeSantis 13, Pence 7, Ramaswamy 4, Haley 3, Christie 2, Scott 2, Hutchinson 1. Ada and sloppy Chris Christie. Ada. Ron DeSantis, who's still doing the best job that he can to try and get himself on the debate stage, took a weird turn this week when, when he appeared on Boomer Sweat's Sean Hannity show, and boy did they get the Boomer Sweats of sweating. Uh, they've been working on some, like, fake primary... I, Here's the thing. I don't know if Ron DeSantis is switching party affiliations and is now running in the Democrat primary because we're not in the general election cycle yet. He's not going to win the Republican nomination. But Sean Hannity now has a two-hour debate that's going to be in primetime on Fox News, Ron DeSantis versus Gavin Newsom. Really? Makes tons of sense. Let's hear it. You heard Gavin make the offer. Your answer is... Absolutely. I'm game. Let's get it done. Just tell me when and where. We'll do it. And here's the thing, Sean. I mean, in, in one respect, 
the um, the debate between California and Florida, you know, has already been had, as you suggest. People have been voting on that. They've been voting on it with their feet. They have fled California in record numbers. Florida has been the number one state for net in-migration. We have the number one ranked economy, number one now in education, crime rate at a 50-year low. But in another sense, this is the debate for the future of our country, because you have people like Joe Biden. They would love to see the Californication of the United States. Biden may not even be the nominee. You could have Gavin Newsom. You could have Kamala Harris. And I think if we go down that direction, that's going to accelerate American decline. We can't see America decline anymore. We need to. You forgot Big Mike. Stealing another Trump line. It's going to be Gavin Newsom yeah. at this point. Uh, I think anybody else thinks otherwise. It's kind of not really using their brain. But here's the thing. What purpose does this debate serve? Like Fox's crumbling ratings, the fact that Sean Hannity isn't Tucker Carlson and he's getting lapped by like two times the amount of people or more that used to listen to Tucker Carlson on a nightly basis. You know, that two and a half million people are tuning into Boomer Sweat show right now. And when Tucker Carlson drops a tweet with a 12 minute video of him sitting down with Devin Archer, 70 million people look at it in 24 hours. What do you think? I mean, I mean he did kind of say for the future of the parties, do you think Ron DeSantis is kind of saying without saying he knows that this race is over and if Joe Biden's a nominee, so be it. But me and Gavin Newsom could preview 2028 by having a little debate on Boomer Sweat show or what? I am not excited about seeing more of Gavin Newsom. You know, unless he, I actually think Gavin Newsom, who's, who's kind of a skilled debater when it comes down to it, because the guy's a sociopath and a pathological liar. I think he's absolutely going to destroy Ron DeSantis. Oh, yeah, but that's that's the scary part is that he's probably going to be really good. And those are the only low lights that will play on the show, to be honest with you, because, you know, it's like Liz Harrington pointed out uh, just before the segment. Ron DeSantis did this to himself, and it didn't have to be this way. All right, I got one more for our last audio clip of the week. You know, we played a little Joe Rogan dunking on Joe Biden, but he also was asked about the possibility of the 45th president coming on the show and doing a little interview with him. I think instead of a Newsome meatball debate, that would be great for ratings. Mm -hmm. And we would definitely cover some of the interesting topics they'd probably talk about. And maybe even the pushback that Joe Rogan tries to give Donald Trump and how he responds to that in, in a way that we only know that he can do. Let's check it out. So, so when are you having Trump on? I don't know. Okay. You're, the look I don't know. Maybe. Looks like you got something. Maybe. Okay, good. That's good. I think that's... Uh, I, look, at a certain point in time, it's just like, it would be interesting to hear his perspective on a lot of things. I would like to know what is it like when you actually get into office. I would like to know things like, what what is it like versus perception? Yeah. What is it actually like when you get in that building? Like, what 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 are you greeted with? When do you know that people are fucking with you? When do you know that the intelligence agency is lying to you? Like when you decided to fire Comey, what was the thought? How much did you know? Like what, what's the machine like? What is, what is the deep state really like? Really like? Because we have all these, you know, smoky room perceptions like from the Bill Hicks joke where they show you the Kennedy assassination from an angle you've never seen before. You know, what is the machine that runs this country because it's very clear that it's not as simple as elected representatives that are doing the will of the people it's 
Should be here. What do you think, Noah? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I like Joe Rogan. I also hear a little defeatism in his voice because he did go around for quite a long time saying that he would never, ever have him on the show. Yeah. And uh, I can only imagine what they spoke on in that brief instance at UFC and probably after the event. They, I'm sure they got together because, you know, Dana White all but said this week that it's going to happen, and then you hear some other pundits kind of talking about it, and, you know, Liz and Christina were able to confirm it for us today. So that's about all we got left for the news. We're going to be jumping in with Steve Friend here to kind of wrap up the week. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's an FBI whistleblower. He's also a fellow at the Center for Renewing America, one of our favorite centers. Sitting down for the first time, Mr. Steve Friend. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me today. It's our absolute pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? It's been a busy week in the news cycle. Uh, I think everybody's pretty much forgotten that Devin Archer gave a deposition to the House Weaponization Committee this week because, well, the Justice Department decided to drop some more indictments uh, on Donald Trump and had him arraigned in federal court yesterday in Washington, D.C. Steve, as someone who knows how federal law enforcement and kind of the justice system works hand in hand and, and, and the overall rot that's going on up in Washington, D.C. right now, as you saw the events of this and the events leading up to it kind of unfolding over the last little while, what can you tell our listenership about, you know, how you feel about this whole situation and its developments? Well, I mean, the question is, how old were you on Monday when <laughs> Devin Archer testified? Right. Because the, the news cycle is going about a million miles an hour. And we hope that nobody can really keep up with everything. It's like drinking through a fire hose. Uh, and that that was a very important moment, I guess, for the uh, for, for the House to get to some of the information and get his confirmation on some things. Uh, but lost in the shuffle there was the fact that the DOJ actually tried to have Devon Archer uh, arrested and, and put into custody before he had the opportunity to testify, which I think was just yet another example of how the Department of Justice is completely politicized and weaponized against one particular side of the political spectrum. You know, a lot of people forgot about that. And we, we like to remind our listenership that the Department of Justice only works on Sundays when they're delivering letters to Donald Trump or trying to issue arrest warrants for people that corroborate stories who could, you know, lead to uncovering some of the crimes of, of, you know, Joe Biden and his family. But that's neither here nor there. Steve, you worked in Washington for a long time. You saw it. We've had some FBI whistleblowers on the show. We, we always run through a great slew of America First, former federal prosecutors on this program as well. We sit down with a lot of law experts. I want you to tell our listenership right now, you know, kind of like a 10,000-foot uh, view of, of how you see Washington, D.C., and, and the DOJ and the FBI right now, all the stuff that's wrong. What were the biggest problems that you saw there and, and what eventually led you to, to walk away from the job that you were doing, which was, you know, you, you take an oath to the Constitution, and a lot of people are so proud and so strong about that. But when you see some of the stuff that's going on right now, it, it's hard to go in and punch the clock every day. You have to be able to admit that. 
Yeah, I think it's it's a combination of a couple of factors, uh, but the 30,000 foot view is the FBI has evolved from a law enforcement agency to an intelligence agency. And that really started to, to ramp up after September 11th and now has kind of come to its full fruition. And unfortunately, because it has a law enforcement capability, it is an intelligence group with guns, which is always a problem. That's very much like the Stasi and the KGB. And you combine that reality with the the fact that the FBI, and little known to to most people, the FBI has a quota system. It's called integrated program management, and it is driven from the headquarters to identify what their priorities are, the number of cases they need to open, and the particular violations they need to address, and the arrests they need to get, and the tools that they have to use. And it's set every year. And it is politically driven now. So there's a tremendous desire for domestic terrorism. So the FBI will provide that domestic terrorism, and it'll manipulate the stats any way they can, and it will stomp down on rights if, if necessary. So you combine those two factors and it creates a perverse incentive structure for an FBI, which we all kind of through pop culture have an expectation that, that they're the federal police. They're out there defending the constitution, defending our rights and protecting us from fraud and force. But uh, unfortunately that's not the case. They are just always looking for targets of opportunity and uh, if they happen to the Venn diagram overlaps with somebody who is actually an evildoer, that's an added bonus, but they are going to hit their number no matter what. You know, when you see the game of telephone, that's, you know, part of the consequence from the fallouts of, let's just say, things from 9-11, where everybody was worried about national security, border security, uh, you know, cells all over the country, and and some good work was probably being done. You know, we've seen a lot of things prevented between that event and, and up through now. But it's gotten to the point to where, like, a congressman, senator, house representative, governor, you know, can just get on the phone ahead of a federal agency, a cabinet-level position. Uh, a senior staffer within the White House could just shoot an email over to somebody at Facebook, at Instagram, at, at Twitter, and just be like, hey, you want to know what? This is what we're trying to do, and these people are, are working against us. Whether it's right or wrong, let's just make them go away. And, and, and that's part of the component that goes into, I guess you can call it the, you know, intelligence community that the FBI has become now, and, and but... How dangerous is that when you talk about how it goes against the First Amendment and how it goes into not letting equal voices heard? We're just starting to get things, let's just say, completely unrelated topic, not something that we talk about too much on the show, but something that's really important, the whole COVID narrative. Or if you even want to circle it into politics, everything that went down during the 2020 presidential election. Election interference on social media, you know, based off of some of the stuff that's going on at the FBI and the DOJ and Congress is some of the biggest election interference we've probably seen ever in this country. Who knows how long it's been going on? We're just kind of focused on the last one. But how dangerous is that for the American public, especially a lot of the people who can't wake up to understand the fact that there are people that they see on TV every day. They welcome into their homes on, let's just say, cable news shows every night. They hear their narratives. Sometimes they go out and vote for these people who are actively working against the best interests of this country when they're talking about, you know, censorship and and completely demolishing the First Amendment. It's very dangerous. And it's sort of... uh... I think it brings something to the front that, that we often gets overlooked. And, and everybody wants to talk about we have a First Amendment, we got to exercise it, and we need the Second Amendment to protect that. And if I get in trouble, I'm going to invoke the Fifth Amendment. Uh, but we always overlook the Third Amendment, the quartering of soldiers. It's sort of a forgotten amendment in there. And I think you could make the corollary here to the gross relationship that these intelligence agencies have, and the FBI being one of them, have with social media companies and their ability to... Uh, censor speech that's online and then also uh, 
work with tech like like your phone and and what is the difference between quartering a soldier in the guest room next to you being forced to do that and they can uh, hinder your ability to communicate with your wife at night or even inform on you and contrast that with your facebook account that uh, you're having private messages on but the fbi is monitoring that so i think it's sort of a new uh technology version of the the quartering of soldiers and and, and soldiers at the time were, were basically the representatives of the government it was a, uh, a a governor for the area didn't exist. It was a general whoever had had authority in that area. So I think we need to sort of update our thinking on that and and realize that we are confronting a whole another uh, a new uh, it's it's sort of a new challenge when it comes to to intrusion on civil liberties. Speaking of intrusions on civil liberties, when you saw the Trump indictment come out on Tuesday, and President Trump was arraigned in federal court yesterday in Washington D.C and was basically been charged with pretty much the same things that everyone from Stacey Abrams and Hillary Clinton to just about every member of Congress and, and people on television have basically went out and told millions of people for decades upon decades in regards to elections that they feel like they were wronged in. How much of a joke do you think it is to see how bad the Department of Justice is, is working right now, not only against the American people, but to just absolutely destroy the process heading into the election season of next year? It's the perfect example of how i it is the joseph stalin show me the man and i will find you the crime and the doj's willingness to weaponize and reinterpret crimes to go after its perceived enemies you just look at the slew of case of crimes that they allege that donald trump committed and i'm sure there will be some superseding indictments they'll try to come up with more more crimes to charge him with but impeding an official proceeding which is the felony that so many people on january 6th were charged with that isn't tax law from Sarbanes-Oxley that dealt with the Enron case and the accountants who were shredding documents. And you, you look at the, the KKK law that they tried to charge him with, which conspiracy against rights yep. or the defrauding the, the government. Well, conspiracy to defraud the government, how about anybody who says that we need to pack the Supreme Court or do away with the electoral college system? We're back to the conspiracy against rights. Uh, we were told that unless we got a, a jab in our arm that we didn't have the right to earn an income. So I think there needs to be a, an assessment of, of to what the actual spirit of these laws are if we want to actually have an honest judicial system. But clearly, at this point, we don't. No, we don't. And and you know, we I've seen President Trump's lawyers really push back hard. You know, a First Amendment interpretation case is is essentially what Jack Smith is trying to formulate here. I'm not as optimistic in the D.C. federal court or the D.C. Circuit of Appeals. Donald Trump's going to get a fair trial, but I do feel like when this eventually does go to the Supreme Court, they're going to kind of laugh at it. And we may have seen, you know, a 9-0 ruling, maybe 8-1-7-2, but similar to the ones that, that Jack Smith has had overturned at the Supreme Court level uh, previously. Steve, before we cut with you today... I want you to tell our listenership about your book, True Blue. We're going to live link it in the show description, and we, and we want you to be able to promote some of the great stuff that you're working on. So why don't you tell them a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, it's a personal memoir. It's called True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. I wrote it after I was suspended for bringing forward my concerns about how the FBI is mishandling the January 6th cases and misrepresenting the threat of domestic terrorism and sending SWAT to people's houses who had uh, agreed to be cooperative. 
And it sort of recounts my experience as a police officer and as an FBI agent, some of the good uh, work I got to do, and then gets into the details of the whistleblowing process. The FBI wanted me to redact significant portions of this book and includes a, a transcript from an almost two hour meeting where I had with my executive management, where they said some things that they tried to compel me to essentially violate people's rights. I refuse to do that. It's all fully transparent and you can uh, find it on Amazon now, or if you go to my social media at real Steve friend on Twitter. It's pinned to the top of my profile. I purchased it last night. I'm really excited to be reading it. And I'm also excited to be having you back on the show, Steve. We hope that you can come back soon. We thank you for sharing with our listenership today. This is the FBI whistleblower, American Patriot, working hard for America first. Mr. Steve Friend, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me today. Great show today, Noah. Big show, but great show. What do you think? Huge. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the over 260 other editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable platform. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. In addition, our social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bells. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and making this Friday edition of the show great today. Miss Christina Bob, John Pierce, Liz Harrington, Representative Kevin Kiley, and Steve Friend. They definitely help make steak great again. Guys, don't worry. It's a few short days of weekend, and then we'll be back with our Tuesday edition of the show. Brandon Straka, Josh Hammer, Caroline Levitt, and Richard Barris, at the very least, are scheduled to be here. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Guys, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and take care. Today, I saw my own son use a bicycle as a weapon. You yelled rape at the top of your lungs. Mom, I honestly thought I was going to be raped for a second. He had the craziest look in his eyes, and at one point he said, let's get it on. That was about the fighting. I'm so not a raper.